0: Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. Time for DC Spotlight for the week of January 16th, 2024. Already the third week of the new year. A solid week overall, I would say. Uh, I think most of the books were relatively entertaining, with maybe the exception of one. Uh, You know, not everything lived up to expectations, but there's probably only one that I was really... I don't know, that I just didn't care for, uh, I guess. So, I don't know. What do you think, Rock?
1: Well, there's there's a number that were kind of meh. But uh, for the most part, I, I actually thought this wasn't a, this wasn't a bad week. It, was, it wasn't the best, but it, it wasn't bad. I, for the most part, I'm positive this week. I, I enjoyed most of them. I'll, I'll be ranting. I'll be ranting uh, about a couple of them. But for the most part, I, I you know, it's a, you know, it's just, it's all right. It's all right. Well, uh, we'll get into it. There's a couple of comics I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on and uh, particularly the ending of Superman Lost, which is always looking forward to Christopher Priest. So it'll be interesting to hear our respective comments on how Christopher Priest wrapped up that particular uh, Superman epic. Yeah,
0: it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride. So, we'll, yeah, we'll definitely get to it. But we're going to kick it off with Batman, Superman, World's Finest, number twenty three. It's written by Mark Wade, art by Dan Mora, Tamra Bonvillon on colors, Steve Wands on letters. Uh, I talked a little bit last time about, you know, obviously this ties in with Kingdom Come and Magog and that sort of evergreen title that's always at the the top of the bestseller list for, um, for DC books when it comes to kind of their you know long term. Uh, collected editions that always sell um, and for me I, again I, you know I mentioned it last time how I, I felt a little bit to some extent like the problem with the story is the same problem you have with a, a lot of different books uh, or stories and it didn't necessarily have to be books whether it be <laughs> Star Wars uh, over at Marvel when they took the license back over and you know they're setting a a, a comic between episode four and episode five, or, or, you know, for us old school people, star Wars and empire strikes back, um, you're limited in what you can do, right? Because you can't do something that's totally out there with the characters. Cause you know where they're going to end up, uh, or something like the Titanic, right? Like you go and see that movie. It's no spoiler to know that at the end, the boat is going to sink. Like <laughs> that's what happened. You can't, you know, there's no way around it. So I sort of feel the same way about this story, um, and I mentioned it last time. And as, as it all played out, I did sort of, th- that was sort of proved out. And what I mean by that is, for me, uh, it just felt like this didn't end up in a situation where I, I thought it was interesting or uh, really compelling. Um, it, it all just was sort of by the numbers. To some extent, and I think for me, it, it it was more interesting in terms of the concept, the idea, than it was an execution. The artwork is fantastic. I certainly enjoyed seeing all these different versions of the superheroes fighting against Gog, um, but ultimately, it just it, it ended up feeling a little underwhelming, a little bit sort of paint by the numbers, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, it was only okay. It was only okay for me. So I don't know.
1: Uh, maybe you enjoyed it more. What'd you think? Well, I, I think I enjoyed it a little bit more. I like, I, I didn't, uh, I don't think that, uh, uh, I don't think that, that Mark Waite took away anything from kingdom come like this. None of this taints the story. Like none of this, I find inconsistent or tainting of the story of kingdom come at all. I just find that it's, it's interesting to know that maybe this is the background. I, and I, I do find the background interesting about, you know, David uh, being, you know, who be ultimately becomes Magog, who plays a central role in Kingdom Come. The fact that this other godlike character, Gog, sort of saw him in the, saw him through his unique energies in the multiverse. And actually, Gog Gog has these grand, almost insane of uh, desire to to, to, to sacrifice and and battle against the battle battle against apocalypse and dark side and and to go to valhalla and he he wants to protect he wanted to protect earth 22 from the multiverse and he's got a really insane sort of a, a agenda here that, that that is that is a little bit nuts and Gog, Gog is able to manipulate, it's revealed in this issue, manipulate all the heroes of Earth-22 and prevent them from discovering all kinds of things including the existence of the multiverse until of course these latter issues uh, and he g- has all this power because Gog himself possesses a form of the anti-life that Darkseid is looking for and in his movement to try to get all the ba- heroes of Earth-22 to, to, to go into battle against the forces of Apocalypse which of course, the Superman and the Batman want to prevent, uh, in the, uh, they ultimately end up failing, uh, while they end up convincing David to come back to the side of good and and go against Gog. Uh, the reality is that uh, they're too late, and, and Dark Side shows up at the end, promising to be a pretty epic uh, next issue. So, I I like this, and and I I actually am really curious because we know how this ends. We know ultimately this is ultimately going to lead into a Kingdom Come. Uh, I'm curious to see how with the role that Dark is going to play in this, because. Uh, uh, to my knowledge, unless Mark way changes it and and maybe, maybe people disagree with me on this or maybe I'm wrong, but I believe there's only one dark side in the multiverse. I don't believe every earth has its own dark side. Every universe has its own dark side because I think there's still only one dark side, uh, for all the, all the multiverse, but, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, maybe there's more dark sides now. So maybe this dark side is just unique, but I think there's only one apocalypse, for, for all the the multiverse, but but me, maybe, I'm maybe, I'm probably wrong on that. That was the maybe that was pre-death metal. But in any event, I'm curious to see what Mark Wade does with this. He's obviously the guru, uh, even though Joshua Williamson is maybe the architect of the new DCU. I think it's really Mark Wade that is the heart and soul of it. And uh, we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see, but I I enjoyed this. I thought the art was, was excellent. I thought that the Superman's relationship with David convincing him, you know, Superman believes in him. And and as Batman says, Superman never lies. He believes in you, David. He still, you still thinks you're a hero at heart. So it was, uh, inspirational it was action-packed it was nice to see all the heroes of earth 22 come to the side of the of, of the batman and superman and and, the, and their battle against gog and i i you know I, I enjoyed this this is one of the more uh you know but but i i will confess to you that it, it's sort of missing a wow factor even though it's kind of cool it, it's kind of missing that zing or that wow factor that i was hoping it would have but maybe it'll happen next issue with the battle with dark side we shall see
0: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of my point. Um, yeah. I mean, in in no way does this invalidate anything that, that happened in kingdom come or that, that will happen in in kingdom come or anything like that. I just mean that, like, how do you, if Magog knows the events that happened here in this book, how does kingdom come even still happen is, is sort of my point. Um, I guess he could have his memory erased in an upcoming issue i, I again I don't know uh, we'll have to wait and see uh, but I do agree with you on dark the whole point of dark side my understanding is dark side there's only one dark side um he's you know a singular entity in the dc multiverse um, but I, I don't know I wouldn't be surprised if somebody at some point gave us a um, dark side who laughs for lack of a better term a dark side from the dark multiverse. Um, but hopefully not. Uh, Anyway, let's move on. Uh, Up next, we have John Constantine, Hellblazer, Dead in America, number one. From writer Simon Spurrier, Aaron Campbell handles the art, Jordy Blair on colors, Aditya Bidikar on letters. Last time we saw Aaron Campbell was, um, I think, on the Suicide Squad, Black Label book. I think his art's okay. It's sort of um, an acquired taste. It's very dark art and very muddy, you know, you've got Jordan Blair coloring it and she's maybe one of the best colorists working in the business. Um, but there's no way, there's just simply no way with, with Aaron Campbell's style of art to, to make it clean and to make it bright. And it's, and it's not supposed to be right. Like this is a sort of a dark tale. This is a John Constantine story. And when we talk about some of the shortcomings that Simon Spurrier might have uh, on his flash run, the idea of doing, you know, cosmic horror, with the flash being a little bit problematic in my mind. Uh, And, you know, we've debated on how well it's been working Uh, for us. It hasn't been working that well, but this is sort of right up his alley, right? When you start talking about John Constantine and magic and things that are a little more esoteric and a little darker. Uh, And so I think for that reason, this works under the, the hand of, uh, of Simon Spurrier. But at the same time, like I, this is not my character. This is not my bailiwick. This is not my, my genre, right? Like I, I don't get me wrong. I enjoy horror much more than I used to, but at the end of the day, this is still horror. This is still John Constantine. And, uh, it's a, it's a bit problematic. Um, I know Spurrier, you know, he likes to tell stories that are sort of larger in scope in a lot of ways um which is perfectly fine but the problem that you start to run into is the, the problem that we have here where on the title page you've got like I, I how how many like i don't even know 10 12 15 paragraphs of of text to, to as exposition to kind of explain okay here's where we are uh with john constantine here's kind of the setup or whatever um and there's something to be said for you know comics as a medium uh, show me, don't tell me, and that's that is definitely not what we get here, right? We get a ton of no, he's going to tell us uh, what's going on. So I find this to be sort of mildly interesting. Um, but the other thing about Simon Spurrier, and we talk about this all the time as well, uh, he does have a tendency to be very wordy, you know. And there's a lot of word salad, <laughs> a lot of word salad going on here as well. So uh, it it just it sort of is what it is. Um, from that aspect so uh i don't know what'd you think of it
1: rock i, I enjoyed this because i'm I, I do think it's fair to say that if you uh, i mean simon spurrier's uh constantine comic w- was cut short it was canceled and he got screwed over by dc that was like a last year even a couple of years ago it's been a while so for whatever reason D- dc i think rightly for constantine fans uh uh, and even, even people who are maybe detractors of size Spirier, and I'm hit and miss with him, I liked his uh, Constantine run. And I appreciated this really takes a uh, this explains what the story was leading up to this. So his his Constantine run was cut short before he could really complete the story he wanted to tell and so uh, that's the reason for the exposition at the beginning and I did read this a couple times and I did enjoy it. I, I actually found it funny at parts. He basically uh, uh, Constantine wants to, to sa- save the soul of, uh, of, his, uh, of, of someone who might be his son, this uh, black character called Noah. Uh, Noah's wanted for murder. Uh, Noah's soul is has been damned, and and Noah might be uh, Constantine's son, and there's a Girl Scout who represents the lords of the lords of Infer- uh, the lords of, uh, of the Inferno that uh, he, that Constantine meets at at uh, Saint. At St. At Augustine, Florida, uh, near a golf course, and and he's trying to he, he needs to cons- he needs to confirm what the the demon world knows, and of course Constantine has a mixed relationship with demons, and they all hate him, and they all want a piece of his soul, and and to throw a wrench into things, Sisperia introduces uh, Morpheus, the Sandman pops up, uh, and uh, and. Gives Constantine an assignment that he's got no choice but to take. He's got to retrieve some grains of sand that initially Constantine stole at one point and then or found and then ended up they ended up being lost again by the sandman himself. And so Constantine is has to find these a few grains of sand for the sandman, uh, which had been missing for 50 years. And then if he finds them, he'll be rewarded. And I'm guessing, presumably, maybe use some the reward he'll try to manipulate to try to save the soul of, of Noah. Now that's just me speculating, but in the meantime, Time he's uh, part on part of his journey. He's got a contact. He wants to find he. It, this issue ends with him uh, continuing his his uh, movement toward that end of. How do you locate some str- uh, strays of uh, uh, some sand? Well, he wants to contact uh, Swamp Thing and he's expecting Swamp Thing to be Alec Holland. And at the end, it, I'm I'm guessing it's going to be uh, Levi Kamai because it, the, the comment that Swamp Thing says to him is that John Constantine, Alec Holland, these are not. Uh, I do not know them. So I'm assuming that this is the, the Levi, to my version of Swamp Thing, which is probably Levi's uh, s- uh, first interaction with Constantine. Maybe, I think. But uh, in any event, I, I, I thought it worked well. And it, this, he, Cy knows the voice of John Constantine. He knows it. He understands the humor. I've, the more Constantine, uh, I'm not entirely up on, British dialect and what have you but sighspe clearly clearly is sometimes it throws me off a little bit but a couple of reads I get it it's not as difficult I find as reading uh, the milestone universe at times so I don't I don't mind being challenged and overall I thought it was good and I do have to say I really loved cover a I thought the cover a was awesome. just a beautiful cover that's one thing about the Sandman universe the sandman presents all the covers all the the cover dress and the trade dress for anything that the, that's published under that brand name of Sandman by DC. It just has gorgeous trade dresses. And this, this series is, is no, uh, no exception.
0: Yeah, yeah. You're right about that. That, that cover is pretty uh, outstanding. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Superman number 10 written by Joshua Williamson, art by Bruno Redondo and Kaye Felipe colors by Ariana, mm-hmm. Adriana Lucas, Adriano Lucas uh, letters by Ariana Mayor. Uh, so we saw last issue that, uh, Superman got thrown into the past. Uh, you know, we talked about this when we talked about the um, the Nightwing series, right? Recently, he was uh, wearing pirate garb and whatever, and it just seemed like sort of a little bit of a flimsy excuse story wise to to have um, to have Dick Grayson in pirate garb. I sort of feel the same way about this uh, when it comes to Superman in the Old West. Uh, because ultimately, this ends up being almost a one-and-done story. Like, yeah, he's in yeah. the Old West. Yeah, he gets thrown back, but not, not nothing really happens. Like, he he goes and confronts Terra Man, of all people, and that's you know mildly interesting, I I guess. Um, but ultimately, not not really, not much happens in this issue. In in the you know in the grand scheme of things, so. I don't know. I I sort of found it to just be okay. Um, The art I thought was really fantastic. Uh, Again, it's not the regular series artist, but you get a chance to have Bruno Redondo drawing Superman in the old West. I mean, there is a fun aspect to that, but in terms of, you know, advancing the story uh, that with farm and graft and that's been going on, it it really, it really doesn't do much. Um, So ultimately I just thought this was okay and this is one of these comics, and I, I, I sort of noticed this when we were getting ready to uh, to record. I'm going through, and I'm I'm getting all the the books in front of me, the digital press copies that we get, uh, and I'm getting the credits all prepared so I can give the credits as we begin to talk about some of these books. And I was thinking about the fact that for some of these books, you know, it happens on Mark Wade's World's Finest. It certainly happens uh, in Superman. There are certain books, for whatever reason, that the, the title page is a big, giant, double-page spread uh, that says whatever the book is, and then, y- you know, you've got the, uh, the credits there. This felt like a very short read to me, a very short read. And, uh, I, I, you know, as I'm getting the credits ready, I realize, you know, we lose two full pages of story here every month just to have this title page. Uh, I think, I think that's a problem. I don't, I don't like it. Uh, And it's, it's something I haven't really been able to put my finger on before. And it kind of struck me this time. Uh, It doesn't bother me as much with Mark Wade um, on, um, on world's finest. I think it works a little better there, but for some of these other books, particularly Joshua Williams books, where they tend to be very quick reads, I'm definitely noticing it. So I just wanted to kind of throw that out there Uh, just a little nitpick, but Certainly, I think something worth discussing. You know, bad enough comic prices keep going up, and they keep lowering the page count. Now you've got two pa- two of the pages that are, are it's not even it's not even like it's a splash page that doesn't advance the story, uh, and then you get the credits and you get an awesome image. You we're getting nothing. We're getting some text. Uh, I think it's a problem. But
1: anyway, what do you think about the issue itself, Rocky? I, I, I was. I really like seeing Superman in the Old West, and I I frankly would have loved to have had, frankly, Three or four issues of him trapped in the West. I think it would have been amazing. We could have got more of a detailed origin of Moonlight uh, or Marilyn Moonlight. We got we 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 were basically more or less told what her origin was out of her mouth, as opposed to actually shown, which was very disappointing. Very disappointing and a complete total cop out uh, on the part of Joshua Williamson. I also want to I also I also want to vent a little bit. I'm going I'm going to rant a little bit here. At the end of the last issue, it showed Superman uh, ostensibly in the Old West. Robbing a train that was being protected by Nighthawk Hawk and Cinnamon, who were there, part of uh, who are actually Hawkman and Hawk one of the past lives of Hawkman and Hawk Girl. Uh, they didn't show up here. What happened to Nighthawk and Cinnamon? That's how the last issue ended. And all of a sudden, they're not even in this issue. This issue opens up with essentially uh, Moon, uh, Marilyn Moonlight and Western Superman showing up on what what appears to be a massacre of pe- a bunch of people uh, killed by Terra Man, who ultimately it ends in a gunfight later on in the issue. Uh, but again... In in Superman confronting ter- ultimately confronting Terra Man, I mean, nothing was at stake. It wasn't was it was, it was very fast. Uh, Superman, he gained his superpowers back right away. Not uh, Terra Man shot at him with bullets, a gunfight, and surprise, surprise. Superman gained his powers back. He's bulletproof. He didn't have to do anything. All he had to do was stand there. Uh, I'll be blunt. I really love the visuals here. The visuals of Superman in the red sort of like, not the cape, but his red uh, Indian blanket draped off of whatever, draped over his shoulders with the cool looking cowboy hat with the saloon doors. It looks pretty cool. I like it. The visuals are really great. Good Western visuals with Superman being there with the red and the blue and the colors. And Marilyn Moonlight looks fantastic. And as Marilyn Moonlight leaves the town she glances at what i assume and what superman even assumed was her younger self her, uh, her, because she's gonna her she is she, her origin is such that she she grows up and she has a great life and she becomes the spirit of metropolis and dies peacefully surrounded by family and loved ones but somebody brought her back uh brought her back brought her soul back and she always appears uh, after the moon appears in order to bring to to bring justice to those who need it or what have you that's her generic origin uh but it's not bad but i'd like to see more of it i i I would like to see a mini series uh, with maryland moonlight and we're probably going to get that that's why maybe joshua williamson just sort of breezed over it but um, uh, so i liked it i just wanted more of it Uh, it ends with superman coming back to our time and ultimately uh confronting uh lena luther who wants him to you know fly away from you know he, he goes to supercore only to realize that it's been a, it's been taken over by the lex luther revenge squad <laughs> so uh i am curious to see how that's gonna go the lex luther revenge squad naturally wants to recruit superman to the cause because who should hate lex luther more than superman boy do they misunderstand superman but um, in any event uh so On on the one hand, a lot happens in this issue, but it just—it was kind of meh. But I really like the visuals. I uh, just—I really like Marilyn Moonlight, and it is a character that Joshua Williamson created. I just wish uh, we'd have a little bit more with her because I'm more interested in Marilyn Moonlight Moonlight than uh, than I realized. And I didn't realize how much I missed Nighthawk and Cinnamon until they weren't in this issue. So, but again, again, not bad. I feel like I'm bitching about something that I enjoyed because I did enjoy this issue. I. just, I'm nitpicking it, but I'm disappointed. I, I would like this to have been double the page length, and just maybe had a little bit more, more visual, because I love the Western setting, and just a little bit more substance to the to the plotting. But but other than that, okay. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I, I mean, mean, I I, 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 I don't <laughs> I don't disagree with you. The, you know, the problem is, um, it, it the way that it was set up with with how big of a deal it seemed like it was that Superman got you know, sent back in, in time um, that, yeah, it felt like this was being set up for multiple issues. Uh, and then you're right. Like it, it feels like we're missing a part, a part of the story here. Now, maybe it's going to be a flashback at some point um, and we're going to get the, you know, the, the story of what, of what happened, uh, you know, what farm and graph, you know, they have sort of mentioned or hinted at, you know, Superman taking some their mother hints at it you know, what did Superman take from us or what have you? And yeah, we didn't get, we didn't get any of that. But, uh, but I agree with you. I mean, at the end of the day, if it's fantastic visuals, uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, So, you know, I did, I did very much enjoy the the visuals just like you did. So, Mm -hmm. Uh, okay. Up next, we have Green Lantern, War Journal, number five, we're up to from writer Philip Kennedy Johnson. Art is by Montas, colors by Adriana Lucas and Christopher Sotomayor, with letters by Dave Sharp. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one?
1: Uh, I felt that it was a little slower paced, but uh, this was I, – I, it was a character-driven issue. I you know it's interesting as I'm reflecting on it. I it's the one where I didn't really take much notes on, although I didn't really feel that I have to that the bulk of the issue is John is John Stewart. Uh, essentially talking to all the other characters and his fellow Green Lanterns from the other universe. And uh, there was a lot of emotional moments that I thought this was a a very highly character-driven issue, particularly with very personal and poignant moments between John and his uh, his grandmother. And... uh, and it really highlighted just how significant it was that John Stewart, literally his willpower created uh, a, a granddaughter for, for his grandmother, like, you know, the one that was lost. And, and he not only created the construct of, of, of the child. But but the child is actually a protector, like which is interesting. I that that's I think that's new, isn't it? He he actually creates a construct that looks exactly like a genuine child. Now we've he's done that before. He's done that in previous issues. Obviously, that's that's because his mother he doesn't want to, you know, she goes into shock and she, you know, it's to, to comfort his his grandmother. But is is it is this child construct that he's created in order to bring some some. Uh, measure of uh, comfort to his uh, grandmother. Is it? Is it something that does she have powers? Because it, it, I get the impression when he talked to her that she can actually protect the grandmother, and and we'll see if that actually happens. But in any event, I thought it was very very moving. And um, beyond that, that takes up most of the issue. So there was some really good character moments here, uh, and and then following that, John Stewart goes with the uh, goes with the. Uh, the the other worlds I I can't remember the the characters names. He goes Shepard, uh, right? Shepherd right Shepherd and the other Green Lanterns to uh, to try to find the uh, uh, the the what do you call them? Revenant Queen. Right, the Revenant Queen and her forces, and they end up uh, and they end up being followed by other Green Lanterns, which end up being killed, and uh, that's really. So not like again, not a not a heck of a lot happens, other than, I mean interesting character work so uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson is doing really good with the character work here and at some point at some point uh, John Stewart is going to be facing off against the Revenant Queen himself and but he is distracted by his grandmother and the Revenant Queen makes a point of telling him that that that's his weakness or at least she thinks that's his weakness and I'm sure but ultimately his bond with his with his friends and his family and his loved ones will ultimately end up being shown to be John Stewart's strength so you can kind of see where it's where it's going but i i uh, philip kennedy johnson does a good job of conveying the notion that well maybe john stewart is kind of distracted and but even his uh, even shepherd seems to realize that john stewart uh, is pr- is probably more powerful than he lets on and because of all these other distractions his probably his fellow green lanterns know that that's part of john stewart's strength and so that'll probably play out in future issues so uh, and the art uh, what what my god the art's fantastic uh Montos's art is just just really really good it just it he really uh the character moments particularly when he's uh confronting and he's holding his grandmother and uh uh and the, the expressions on their faces and and even at, at conveying horror Montos seems to be very good at facial expressions and then the the color work is great uh the and the action feels real and visceral and you it, this does have sort of like a horror comic feel it, it's it's interesting how different this Green Lantern comic feels than Jeremy Adams Green Lantern they're both excellent but they have two very different kinds of tones and I like it because you get two different they, they should have different different tones to it and and in fact that's one of the benefits that we readers have with all the Green Lanterns comics there's a very decidedly different tone between Alan Scott Green Lantern and Jer- by Tim Sheridan uh, Jeremy the adams green lantern with hal jordan and this uh, philip kennedy johnson's john stewart green lantern it's um we're very lucky to have two very interesting and three very interesting uh and thoughtful interpretations of these characters
0: yeah i don't i don't disagree they all have very different feels and you're you're right in saying this is very much a a character centric, centric uh chapter in the story. And that's kind of what I find interesting. Uh, yes, we move forward with Stuart hunting the Revenant queen, uh, you know, teaming up with lantern shepherd, who's, uh, you know, lantern from another multiverse. Um, but then, you know, following on the footsteps of some of the things that we just recently learned um, in the, the green lantern series from Jeremy Adams, you know, we've got these other lanterns showing up to confront John Stewart not not realizing that the ring that he's wearing you know they know it comes from uh, you know this really arrogant lantern who probably didn't deserve to to wear the ring and that's the other part of this right with the the united planets running the 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 lantern core and you know question on the you know the worthiness and it used to be you know those with the ability to overcome great fear became green lanterns and they they definitely were heroes and now you've got you know people more along the lines of sinestro or people that are you know, maybe just not cut out to be heroes wearing the ring sometimes, maybe because it's a, it's a situation where there's nepotism involved or, or something else is going on. But when these lanterns show up, um, you know, and they, they're like, what? Varon is dead. Uh, you wear his ring and you're claiming he's killed by others. Like, like this is John Stewart, one of the greatest Green Lanterns of all time. And, and who are you to confront him? But, you know, like typically, OK, bring them back to the Guardians and the Guardians of the, of the universe are going to be the ones that make the final call on it. And, and, you know, that's not what happens. So it's definitely a different feel in terms of, you know, what exactly is going on, you know, with the, the Green Lantern course. So you have that aspect of it along with, you know, this Revenant Queen from another universe and, you know, the fact that's in. while they distracted Jon Stewart by infecting him, what the Revenant Queen's really done is, you know, infected supposedly the earth all the way down to its core and now it's going to radiate out. So he's got a real, a real problem on his hands. Right. So th- that's like this big overarching story that's going on. That's kind of in your face and, and drawing all the attention. And somehow the dark stars are going to be involved with that, which is a really, very underrated series. It had some awesome uh, Travis Chiray covers back in the day. Uh, but we see that symbol sh- uh, show up here. and It's mentioned a couple times. It's shown up uh, on the ground, and then there's some sticks that are formed in, into the symbol of the Dark Stars. John Stewart obviously recognizes it. He he tells Lantern Shepherd, yeah, it was I even was a Dark Star at some point. So again, the world building from Philip Kennedy Johnson very impressive. How's that going to play out? Is is that going to play out as part of the story for the Revenant Queen, or is it going to be a, you know a future plot line? That remains to be seen. That's really interesting. But I think the most important aspect of this story, which is much less in your face, although it's still there, is is what Rocky was talking about. We, we had the uh, John Stewart series from Jeffrey Thorne where I, I felt like, I think Rocky felt like this as well um, that Thorne was such a fanboy of John Stewart that he really went over the top and made this like all-powerful John Stewart who could do any you know by the end of the series he could do anything. He, he was like this godlike figure. Uh, and and it's it's like, wh- how do you challenge that? Like, how do you challenge him? How do you make that interesting? He becomes this sort of a a, a character that in and of himself is ex De- uh, deus machina, right? Like can just solve any problem. Um, what's interesting here, I got some shades of maybe the most famous Green Lantern story where Hal Jordan goes uh, and he tries to undo what Mongol did to Coast City you know, killing everybody, and he uses the power of the Green Lantern Ring and his willpower, and he recreates, brings back to life all the people that died in Coast City, but he doesn't have enough power. So that's when he goes to Oa. He's going to absorb all the power from the central battery so he can truly bring everyone back to life. He's confronted by the other Green Lanterns. He, he kills a lot of them, including Kilowog. It's that famous cover. He's on the cover wearing everybody's rings. So he has enough power to go and resurrect Coast City, right? Very, very famous. So in this story, we have Stuart doing something that's not quite as hypocritical, but maybe close, right? We get some shades of Jeffrey Thorne as well when um, Stuart's saying a Green Lantern can do anything, right? Like the the idea of this ring and his ring is different, right? We know his ring is different because of the um, – what's it called? The Omega uh, element or whatever uh, that was in Superman comics recently – Again, another yeah, Philip the, Kennedy the Johnson Genesis, creation. Genesis. Yeah, Genesis. There you go. The Genesis material. Um, so it's 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 Varen's ring, which has been infected by the Revenant Queen, which then has this Genesis power supply, you know, involved as well. And we have shades of what Jeffrey Thorne did in making John Stewart all powerful and what have you. And and you mix all that together, and you've got this really interesting situation where John Stewart, when confronted with his mother's dementia and his mother's trauma and his mother's panic and sense of loss that his little sister's not there anymore, you know, and he doesn't want to have to tell her every time again, you know, and have her suffer that loss again. That's why people that suffer from dementia, that's why it's so tragic, right? Like every day, if you have to tell them, yes, your husband's dead or your child's dead or, or whomever, right? And they suffer that loss, a new every time. I mean, that is just, it's torturous. It's torturous. Does that mean it's okay for Jon Stewart to come as close as you can to playing God and, and rec- recreate his sister? And, and what are the ramifications of that? You know, Rocky mentioned it. Is she actually a protector? Can she wield, you know, Green Lantern energy, willpower energy herself? Like we, we don't know the answers to those questions. And it's not that this is, uh, is subtle from Philip Kennedy Johnson. But when you compare it to what comes later with some action, the Revenant Queen showing up and her forces or whatever, it's easy to gloss over that part and think that's not going to be the long-term consequence. I, I think ultimately the most important part of this issue could be Stuart choosing to almost play God here and recreate his sister. It's the easy way out, right? And you can completely understand why he would do it instead of, Telling his mother no, she's dead. Knowing the next time he sees her, he's probably going to have to tell her again. <laughs> In a way, he's you know not just protecting her; he's protecting himself from the pain of having to do that. Uh, and again, he, it's out of love, but you just wonder. And I just wonder, like right away, I was like, is this the thing to be doing? When Hal did it, you know, it, it was clear from an editorial standpoint how Jordan was being painted as, hey, he's out of control, he's lost it, he's recreating life that that's not allowed. And certainly crossed the line when he went and killed other lanterns to, you know, gain their power rings to, to do it. So, to me, that's what the most important aspect of this issue is. Now, whether or not that plays out, whether Philip actually makes that important, whether he comes back and John Stewart has to suffer consequences, remains to be seen. I could be completely wrong, and it could be really the Revenant Queen uh, and, and her forces as the more, most important part of the story. But it just seems like the way that it played out to me, that this is something that we need to pay attention to. And I, I find it to be super interesting. And again, Philip Kennedy Johnson showing what a great world builder he is, bringing in the Genesis, Genesis energy, bringing in things that Jeffrey Thorne did, uh, bringing in um, John Henry Irons and, and uh, Natasha Irons and Lennon Lang from his Superman run. Uh, just love the way he he constantly builds on things he's done before. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and move on. Up next, we have Jay Garrick, The Flash, issue number four from writer Jeremy Adams. Diego Orlatuga handles the art, Luis Guerrero on color, Steve Wands on letters. What are your thoughts on this one, Rocky? Uh, uh,
1: Jeremy Adams, once again, has provided an entertaining issue, uh, and he he threw a little bit of a wrench into things, and uh, a very pleasant, you know, I, I was pleasantly surprised that he, he Provided a sort of a revitalized origin for Jay Garrick. At, at least it is to me. I, I, I didn't. I like the fact that he made this pro- Professor Hughes, who uh, was actually very active in the origins of Jay Garrick and ultim- and also in the origins of Judy Garrick in gaining the flash powers and being exposed to hard water fumes and so th- this I- issue was extremely informative it was ex- it uh, it provided a great deal of information in terms of 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 the background of Jay Garrick, his origins, uh, how he was an athlete and how this professor Hughes was keeping an eye on him. And, and after, after the first superheroes, the justice society slowly began to appear and sort of, uh, and sort of maybe inspired a little bit by Alan Scott, Professor Hughes wanted to try to create a scenario where ordinary humans could become superheroes or metahumans. And in doing so, he, be- he began making experiments. And that's how he stumbled upon Jay Garrick, who Jay Garrick was a bright young man, was also an athlete, but rather an unassuming, but yet bold and brave young athlete. And uh, Professor Hughes uh, kept a diary. that, And this diary is is it ultimately found its way into the, 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 I guess, the CEO of, of Star Labs, of this Mr. Slate, who in our present is talking to Jay Garrick and Judy Garrick. And Mr. Slate is basically reveals that his, Professor Hughes is, the, is responsible for the creation of Star Labs. And now this is news to me. I I mean I think this is new history. If it is, I can be cor- I stand to be corrected. But I like the fact that Jeremy Adams gives us an origin of Star Labs as well. That Professor Hughes not only is responsible ultimately for uh, the accident that led uh, to Jay Garrick becoming exposed to hard water fumes and, and getting access to the Speed Force, but also Judy Garrick. And ultimately, over the years, in in his working in secret, uh, through uh, the creation of Star Labs. Trying to work secretly and investigate other superheroes with the ultimate goal of trying to make ordinary humans metahumans or again have them gain superpowers uh, I thought it was very cleverly done, and I also like the fact that this professor Hughes doesn't exactly know he was just as surprised as anyone that Judy Garrick was sort of taken from the timeline he actually wasn't responsible for that of course that was the childminder or what have you so I thought everything worked particularly well here and how jeremy adams sort of all the all the events that have happened since since star uh, star girl the lost children and since issue one of jay garrick the flash till now all of the events particularly events of issue one are, are all provided in a nice synopsis and timeline that makes sense for the reader. so if you've been along for the ride for these last four issues and certainly if you've been even luckier and read star girl the lost children uh there's there's a lot of fun to be had here. I, it's easy to follow. It's easy to read. Its uh, dialogue is great. The art is particularly good. Ortega's art is really good. Guerrero on the colors. Uh, I thought this worked really well. I'm, I'm actually excited. I, I like the sort of new twist on the origin for Jay Garrick, The Flash. And, and I should maybe cover my ass here and say it's a new twist for me. I, I was uh, I never knew that this I, I believe it's new that this G- Professor Hughes uh, was was actually ultimately responsible for what happened to Jay Garrick and, and Judy. And uh, he even at one time tried to uh, investigate uh, Judy, uh, Joan Garrick, the the. the the, the wife. So I thought it was there's lots of little Easter eggs in here that are really good and very rewarding to the reader. So I I, I thought it was really well done. What about yourself? Oh, you're on mute. Sorry about that. Yeah, I
0: I tend to agree. I mean, we we never saw Professor Hughes. I mean, he makes his first appearance as Dr. Elemental in in the first issue of the series. He's never, he's never, you know, shown up previously. This is his. This is his first appearance. It's the first time we've ever seen him. Um, I I mean, I think we've we've sort of had a Star Labs um, origin before, but it was it wasn't tied to any one individual. It was just sort of like they just were. And so to tie Jay Garrick into the beginning, the earliest origins of Star Labs, to tie this Professor Hughes in, to, to retroactively go and and insert this Doctor Elemental into the history of Jay Garrick as the Flash and um and to go so far as to say, yeah, he was kind of the flash and boom, uh, you know, Judy Garrick, uh, their arch nemesis back in the day. Um, uh, and he's just been erased from the timeline, much like Ju- Judy Garrick was. Uh, that that's fun. That's fun. Um I and I know maybe it sounds a little bit hypocritical. Uh, I say all the time I hate it when they go and really retcon things that don't make sense. But it's a lot easier to do that when you retcon stuff that is back in the golden age when sort of nothing made sense if you if you take my meeting i mean i'm thinking back to times um and uh and i think it was julie schwartz as a editor at dc maybe it was mort weisinger that that basically told everybody that hey you know back in the day you figure you have brand new kids reading comics every um like every three years so you you basically can repeat a story every three years because you've got you know brand new brand new people reading it um so you know, a lot of times you go back and you read a lot of that golden age stuff. It's, it's not sophisticated. It's not really serialized. A lot of one and done stories and what have you. Um, but that's not what modern comics are. And, and, and Jeremy Adams is getting a chance to, to, you know, go back and retroactively add in Judy Garrick to add in this Dr. Elemental. And it, it makes a really compelling read. Like I, I, I had no idea this was where this story is going to go. This is my favorite issue of the series so far. Um, and the other thing that's interesting is, in this flashback, we see um, a, a television report, a television news report about you know a, a hero showing up, and you know what, what's going on, and it's kind of this thing that inspires um, Professor Hughes to start his research. And hey, you know maybe there's more to what we can be as as humans and what have you. Uh, the interesting part about it, it's not Superman. I, I expected it to be Superman on the screen of the television. And it's not, it's it's Alan Scott. It's Alan Scott Green Lantern. And it's you know intimated that he was the first hero, which is interesting. Um, Cause it's still like a Superman like pose. It's still the car over his head. He's just using the ring to hold it up. So yeah, a lot to like here. I agree with you, the Diego or Lutuga art. It, his art has been just a little bit inconsistent for me. There's times where it hasn't been quite as clean as others, but this is definitely a, a, maybe his best art to date. Um, maybe it's just that I love the, the flashbacks and all the, the sort of the montage pieces that uh, show up in this issue. But man, yeah, I, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of this uh, series and a big fan of this issue in particular. So, uh, all right, up next we've got Justice League versus Godzilla versus Kong. We're up to issue number four from writer Brian Bucciolato. Uh Christian Doucet is the artist. Tom, oh, I'm sorry, along with Tom Darnick are the artists Luis Guerrero on colors, Richard Starkings and comic crafts, Jimmy Betancourt handle the letters. Um, we get a chance to see Aquaman unleash the Kraken, right? Everybody's so familiar with that term. Uh, I, I gotta be honest, I'm not even sure exactly where it comes from anymore. Um, and it's sort of cliched and, and over the top, but damn if this issue just isn't a heck of a lot of fun. Um, I, I you know really appreciate the art by Ducey and Derenik. I mean, when we see these giant monsters, they feel big, they feel dangerous. They feel formidable. Um, The the word I just keep coming back to time and time again, when we talk about the series is fun. Uh, The other aspect of that's, I wouldn't go so far as to say secondary, but because it is there, but it does take a backseat to kind of the over the top action and, and the idea of these giant monsters and what have you, which I, you know, I give all the credit in the world to uh, to uh, to Brian for bringing that to life, uh, and and the artists that are doing a fantastic job as well. But there is character work here. You know, it started in that first issue when we were talking about the fact that we had um, Clark Kent thinking about proposing. We've got um, you know members of the Justice League that are worried about Superman. Is it? You know, the question is: Superman really dead? Is he not? Will he have a chance to come back? I mean, there's all these different aspects to the story um, that, that again, they take a little bit of a backseat to the action that we're seeing. But it's just so much fun um, that the subtle character work can be lost. And I want to I want to point out that there is some subtle character work going on and we should appreciate it as well because it's uh, it's really fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the art. The idea of Supergirl having a connection with Kong, the fact that Kong, it looks like is being set up, that maybe he's going to ally with the heroes. It might be that Godzilla himself is not really, you know, the bad guy that, that maybe they think he is, despite the fact that he may have killed Superman, that's still kind of up in the air. There's just, there's a lot of moving parts here. It continues to be fun. Um, and more than anything, it's got that, uh, and I mentioned this before, it's got that challenge of the super friends, you know, super... Uh, the Justice League, uh, sorry, uh, against the Legion of Doom from back in the early 80s cartoon. Uh, this is the closest thing I've ever had to that in a in a comic. Uh, I mean, I know we had the Super Friends comic back in the day, but, you know, it was a little more aimed at a younger audience. Uh, and this is just so much fun. And, yeah, just page after page of fantastic art. Um, yeah. The whole creative team on this book just continues to get better and better <clears throat> with each issue. So. Uh, what would you think of it, Rocky? I, this
1: is, This feels like a sophisticated story, and I, I love that writer Buccellato is. Uh uh yeah. he's taken it very very seriously this actually feels like a sophisticated plot this is something where he, he probably had to draw a couple of venn diagrams to to get it straight and i enjoy i appreciate that because it's not just by the numbers it's actually very well thought out there's character connections here and like you said everything from Supergirl, the blonde uh, staring into the eyes of king kong and Possibly seeing Kal-El, uh, and uh, everything, and to the emotions of Batman, uh, upset with Superman supposedly being dead, to the emotions of Lois uh, <clears throat> speaking into a, a supposedly a dead Superman's ears, telling him to wake up, and that she basically accepts his marriage proposal. Those are the emotional moments that highlight. Uh, more a continued evolution of the plot is Lex Luthor himself thinks that there's more to Godzilla than meets the eye and that he thinks Godzilla, uh, he, he doubts that Godzilla kills Superman himself. Uh, and, and, of course, even Batman did. He does, does a little bit of deductive reasoning he knows that toy man was probably responsible and that it had to do with that that Dreamstone. and all of these things are believable moving parts the, the legion of doom uh they're coordinated they're actually a coordinated a legitimate threat to the justice league they were from the very beginning issue they are in this issue uh, it's just very well done this transition from scene to scene is great the dialogue is really good uh the Bruce Leto knows these characters. Christian Doucet's art, I think, is fantastic. Uh, you, you, you said it, uh, when, when, I mean, when the Kraken is, is, is in the ocean on a, at the end on a double-page spread with Godzilla and the Kraken right beside each other, I mean, this is right up there. I mean, this is awesome. I mean, normally, let's face it, Aquaman doesn't get a hell of, he probably gets the least amount of love out of all the, the, the members of the Justice League, but in this particular issue, Aquaman is supported by the Kraken, and this makes for a hell of some pretty good visual and this is just continues to be a hell of a lot of fun and yeah and uh you know kudos to ducé's art and uh, you know I, i'm enjoying it and again definitely one of the mo- uh just a very enjoyable pleasant surprise because i i did not expect i i didn't expect this series to be as as, as entertaining as it's become yeah
0: yeah you know you mentioned it being sort of a complicated story i i thought it would be fun right i thought it'd be over the top but there was a part of me that sort of expected, you remember we got the, um, the, the Jurassic League and, and that, you know, that was kind of fun and over the top and whatever. I I sort of thought this would be that, uh, where it's just kind of over the top fun and, and, you know, not a sophisticated story and not something where you're really thinking about it after and, you know, with character development and and that sort of thing. But that's really what it's turned into. It's turned into something, you know, so much more than the, than the sum of its parts. So, yeah, everybody on the whole creative team is is really firing on all, all cylinders. So, uh, all right. Up next, we have Catwoman number 61, uh, Catwoman, Nine Lives, part three from writer Tinney Howard. Stefano Raphael is the artist. Veronica Gandini on colors. Lucas Catoni on letters. I'm really curious to get your take on this one. Uh, you mentioned a couple of books this week that you were curious to know what I thought. Is this one of them? Because I definitely wanted to know your thoughts on this one.
1: Oh, really? Uh well uh, frankly I, I I think that this is a, an interesting plot line that's wasted on this character called Catwoman uh, now I, I so I want to I think Teeny Howard's got a really great concept here but I just these stories aren't interesting enough they're not She's, she's not making the concept, she's not translating the concept into interesting stories. The whole idea that that Catwoman has nine lives and she she decides that she's going to use up these nine lives to basically embark on all these scores and these thefts that she always wanted to do or all these goals that she had in the back of her mind but she could never do before because they were life-threatening to her. And she, it was a score that she could never pull off, but since she's got some lives to kill, why not do that? Um, that that's kind of interesting, except the, the, the scores that she's embarking on, I just think, are just really dumb, either, either beneath her or just plain, I think, really stupid, like this issue. Going after radioactive, I mean, if why is she going after radioactive material when, when if, if it's that deadly, just tell Superman to fly into the place and get it. I, I This issue was baffling to me. I don't understand what the hell she was doing. I It was totally, uh, I mean, the other thing too is, um, and, and again, I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here. Uh, I don't feel that Teenie Howard understands, quite gets Catwoman, to be honest with you. I, I view Catwoman as a thief. First and foremost, a criminal. She's a thief. And the she's a thief and she likes to have sex with Batman. That's Catwoman. Simple as that. And <laughs> and I don't I don't overthink the character. If you're gonna if you, I just don't I don't buy Selena as her having this, oh, I've got nine lives, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go save lives. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go save a country from radioactivity from like Chernobyl or something what? This is Selena. Selena's going to go on the ultimate score. First of all, it's insulting to suggest that Selena would have to have to have nine lives and have to be immortal in order to pull off a score. If you challenged Catwoman and said, I bet you, you can't pull off that score, Selena. It's too dangerous for you. You're probably chicken shit. It's, you're, you'd have to risk your life and you're too much of a coward to pull off that score. Selena Kyle would say challenge accepted. She wouldn't. Like, I, I just, I saw so I Again, the premise of this, just like Gotham War, I, I have a hard time with the premise, but I acknowledge, like you've reminded me before, this is the story we're getting. So, OK, I'm going with it. I'll go with it. But I, the story should be more interesting in this. And the choices that she, that Selena is making, she is, I, I truly feel that she's wasting these lives on F- fairly what I consider to be insignificant actions, or, at, or at, a li- at a minimum, not particularly as entertaining as they could be. Uh, now, while she's doing all this, embarking on this, um, embarking and trying to get this radioactive materials, there are some nice moments here. So T.D. Howard, again, she's got, she she doesn't execute these she's got good concepts doesn't execute them well in stories that i find interesting enough but they do result in some moments that i think are really inter, uh, that i think do have some uh, are heartfelt i thought it was really nice at the end where catwoman is dying in her whether it's her eighth or final life or seventh life whatever number it might be where superman stays with her at the end i thought that was really nice when superman showed up I, that was that was a surprise that superman shows up at the end and superman stays with her and holds her she wants to be held She doesn't want to die alone, even though she's, you know... uh, I thought that was nice. That was touching. And um, again, it was a curious choice for Catwoman making the choices she did getting there. But I I thought those moments were nice. I, I am... I am mildly intrigued by this mysterious force that, that maybe is responsible working in conjunction with the meteorite that gave her these immortal, like nine lives of powers or whatever it is, nine lives. I, I'm not sure exactly what this force is. That's still kind of a mystery, but this, this, this force or this spiritual essence this that speaks to her in the force in, in the body of a radioactive cat it seems to be impressed with the choices that selena is making um which is complete opposite of me because i'm not impressed with the choices that selena kyle is making <laughs> and i don't believe that these choices are true to, to who selena kyle is uh but i can absolutely be convinced otherwise and 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 I think that Tini Howard has lost an opportunity to convince me that Selena Kyle isn't anything other than a thief. She's failed to do that. And I, I don't buy it. And I think opportunities were lost here. There's some again moments where I'm questioning maybe I don't know Selena Kyle. Well, that's good. As a writer, you're making me think. Maybe I don't know Selena Kyle. But and it's not it's missing something. It's it's just she's jumping too quick from ish from 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 adventure to adventure there doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason to this that may, that none of these stories seem to have linkages to each other. This is completely out of the blue, out of nowhere after it, it just feels, it feels like, again, it feels like a great concept for a story poorly executed. That's how it feels so far. So that's how I feel. Mini rant. I apologize, but uh, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's
0: funny. I, so I, I don't know that it's poorly executed. Um, but maybe maybe that is the right way to put it. Uh, I mean technically it's a very well done comic uh in the past I one of the things that I've um said about Tinny's work is the the pacing seems off, maybe the story's trying to tell a little too big, uh feels a little choppy. Uh we're not getting uh you know enough space to to let the story breathe. At least with Selena here and it's not that we don't get some of Dario and some of uh Amiko back in uh, in Gotham City, we get a little bit of the supporting characters, but mostly we're focusing on Selina here, uh, which to me is how it should be. I mean, Catwoman should be a, a solitary character. I hate the idea of Catwoman and Batman together, and I, I've said as much. You know, you say uh, to you, it's pretty simple. Catwoman is a thief. She likes to have sex with Batman. Uh, to me, Catwoman's a thief. And there can be some playful attraction with her and Batman, but I don't think it should ever get to the point where they have sex. I don't think Catwoman really, in my mind, the character doesn't really love Batman in the traditional sense, right? If there's any sort of flirtation or any sort of, you know, a connection there, Catwoman's going to ignore that for the sake of the score, for the sake of stealing, she's going to exploit it. She's going to certainly want Batman to fall in love with her, but only so she can use that later to get what she wants. At the end of the day, she's a thief and that's it. Like, I don't even, like, forget about the the sex part, right? Like, she's a thief. She wants to be the best thief in the world and she will do anything to be the best thief in the world. And what she... Uh, That also goes along that she won't do things that will compromise that. And having some kind of actual, emotional, mature relationship with Batman compromises that. Because I think at the end of the day, all Selena really cares about is being the best thief in the world. So, and I think there are aspects of the story that, where that works. Like when you think of her that way, it works, right? Like this idea of Corium, right? Corium is such a rare substance right it only exists in three places on our entire planet it's it's i mean when you think of it like that it's more rare than plutonium or titanium or diamonds or any or anything right and so while i agree with you in principle rocky that why would she go and steal this thing that's gonna kill her the only way i can reconcile it in my mind is she she wants to be known as the best thief ever and she can now say hey I'm the only thief that was able to go into – in D.C., it's Markovia. In our world, it would be Chernobyl would be the place that she's describing because, again, it only exists in three places, Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, and the Japanese nuclear power plant. I I can't remember what it's called, Fukushima, I think, Fukuhama, something like that. Those are the three places where nuclear power plants have had meltdowns in the United States and Corium has been created. Uh, So, again, super, super rare. So she can now say, I was the only one that was able to get in there. Many people have tried. Many people have died. I was the only one that was able to get in there and steal it, right? And she she feels like those bragging rights are worth her life. I question that a little bit in terms of where Catwoman is now. Because, you know, you say you think that Tinny has a um, maybe a lack of understanding who Catwoman is as a character. I think DC Mm -hmm. Comics as a whole, has a problem with who Catwoman is as, as a character. And yeah. don't get me wrong, I love Tom King. I love Tom King, but I don't ship Batman and Catwoman. And I think putting them together and what the, the because Tom, you know, feels exact opposite of me, apparently, in terms of them belonging together and they're meant for each other, long lost love, soulmates, whatever label you want to put on it, you know, his run was all about putting them together. And I think editorial bought into that to some extent. So even now, it's like they don't know what to do. Right? We saw it with Gotham War when you had Selena and and Bruce at odds with each other. But wait, they're supposed to love each other. They're supposed to be together. We had the Batman Catwoman series, and I know it was black label or whatever, but that's sort of what Tom, you know, where they would have gotten to, and they're eventually going to get married and have kids or whatever. Like, that's a problem. If Selena is who we think she is, a thief, you know, we can argue back and forth whether she wants to have sex with Catwoman or not. But her main identity, her first identity, the thing that you gonna are gonna say first, the thing first on the list of things you're gonna list, she's a thief. Yeah. She's a thief. That's not the case anymore. It's like there's this overriding thing with DC editorial going, Yeah, but would she really do that? Because in the back, we always have to go, yeah, but what's going on with her and Bruce? What's going on with her and Bruce? Guess what? I don't fucking care. How about nothing's going on with her and Bruce? It yeah. shouldn't matter. <laughs> you're 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 lessening yeah. the character of Catwoman. By making her dependent uh, on whatever's going on with her and Batman, you, you've 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 added this like fifty pound brick to her back. That every time you go to tell a story, you, she, well, we got to check in with what's going on with her relationship with Bat. Well, how's Batman going to feel about this? How because you've 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 made them so close, and even though they didn't get married, you've made them closer than ever. And I, I think that's a problem. And I so I don't hold that against Tinny. I hold that against DC as a whole. I think yeah. it's I think it's a problem. Now, I, I can reconcile the fact that she goes and steals this Corian because it's a very rare substance. Uh, and and that's how I make it make sense in yeah. my brain. But I, I do I sort of agree that. with you. Why, why would she Yeah, why would she do that? But the bigger problem I have with this, and especially because Superman shows up at the end, and it is a touching moment. He does what you'd expect Superman to do, and he stays there with her. But this is the bigger problem I have with the story if you want me to actually buy into the fact that this actually took place. First of all, not only is corium the rarest substance on Earth, you know, in our reality, and I imagine it's, you know, pretty rare in DC reality, too. That's why Catwoman tries to go and steal it. There's an argument to be made that corium and the the other substance you could possibly consider is VX gas. That would be the other one. It's, It's between the two. Chorium is the most dangerous, deadly substance on earth, right? You're, you're talking about a substance that is so radioactive, it provides its own heat source and it's, it's sort of recreating fissionable material. Like it's almost a self-sustaining nuclear reaction. It is, you know, far and away, you know, the most dangerous substance on earth in my mind. VX gas, I, it, because it doesn't, you know, basically reproduce itself, I think is less. So I would put that number two on the list. If Corium exists in the DC universe, which now it does, according to Tinny Howard, and this is a universe where Superman exists, there's no reality, there's no situation, there's no scenario that would possibly happen where Superman would not go and get rid of all the Corium because it's the most dangerous substance on Earth. Especially if like, like, he only got to go to three places. <laughs> yes, Exactly. Exactly. Like, if, if Superman existed on our reality, the first thing he would do, the first thing he would do is go get all the Corium and throw it into the sun because it's that dangerous. <laughs> That's the first thing he would do. So if Superman's all about saving lives, why would he, why would cor- Corium would not exist in the DC universe? He would go and gather it all up and and, you know launch yeah. it off into space you know like take it out of deep space yeah. where it might actually freeze yeah, he, he was he was song. waiting
1: for an immortal cat thief to come along to do the work for him obviously yeah i, yeah. I mean
0: it did i was that was the thing that i kept going <laughs> wait corium exists in dcu why superman would not allow that to happen like it, it totally falls apart <laughs> i know i'm totally nitpicking i'm, I'm totally playing script doctor or whatever oh, but,
1: well.
0: We both, you know are. it's the same problem i have with you know the 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 man of steel movie you know or superman's there kissing lois when people are buried in the rubble it doesn't make sense he wouldn't do that he wouldn't do that god damn it so anyway now my rant's over we're gonna move on i, I mean i did enjoy the story for what it was but yeah there's some fundamental flaws and i dc needs to they need to just sever batman and Catwoman. i don't know the, the problem is they let tom do what tom wanted to do to some extent then they didn't let him finish that that's part of the thing like if you're gonna have him do it you should just let him do it regardless of what the sales were Cause now you sort of half did it and it's almost worse i don't know i, I, I don't know that you can even ever go put that genie back in the bottle sure. uh but anyway let's move on uh up next we have nightwing number 110 it's a beast world tie-in uh tom taylor's the writer sami basri on art vicente safuentes inks finishes Adriana lucas on colors west abbott on letters um we're basically getting the origin of uh of ava apex which is the green-skinned woman that we um that we saw previously uh i think in one of the beast world um uh, anthologies so we basically get the origin of that we also have uh nightwing and, and superman john kent version of superman going and rescuing uh damian mr mittens which is just a hilarious name mr mittens to call damian wayne uh i think everybody who knows damian should call him mr mittens from now on because it would totally piss him off um, and make him seem, you know, much less dangerous than he is. Uh, so this was action-packed. It was well-paced. We've also got um, a former hairdresser who has been transformed into a bear by Beast World. For those that don't know, that's hundred percent Gale. Small. He even says that the former hairdresser's name is Gail. She's like the <laughs> champion of the underground fight ring. So Tom King, uh, Tom Taylor, rather, and Gail Simone have this sort of tongue-in-cheek uh, beef online on Twitter, or and what have you, and they always, you know, give each other a bad time. So yeah. the fact that it's a bear, and it, yes. for some reason, Gail's called a bear by various people at times, uh, and you know, her pre, before she was a comic <laughs> writer, she was a hairdresser. So this is yeah, totally honestly. Tom Taylor, you know, totally. Uh, not tongue in cheek, but going all out to call Gail a bear and, and put her in this comic and have her as this formidable fighter. Um, so the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway from this is it, it's fun. The art's really strong. And this Ava apex character coming out of uh beast world is going to be a character. that's going to show up time and again. Um, she had some super rare disease. She was bitten by a monkey when she was very little. Her parents missionaries, apparently. Um, And yeah, she goes to be infected by a a spore and instead she stabs it with a, she rips a spoke off from her wheelchair, stabs it, eats it, turns green. uh, And now when she touches the various tattoos around her body, uh, these tattoos being things that she's hunted and killed, she can transform into these various things. So to me, it's kind of not really that interesting of a character, Um, but this is her origin. It's not her first appearance, but um, kind of, the uh, origin of her so speculator alert. If you're curious, uh, you can check it out. But ultimately, a little bit of a paint by the numbers um, book. Um, I, I typically, and I've said this before, I typically I try not to read ahead when it comes to um, the press preview stuff we get. Sometimes, um, you know, weeks ahead uh, based on um, schedules and what have you are they're available to us. Um, but I try not to read ahead because I don't like it to color my outlook on the books that we're talking about for this week. That being said, I've read all of beast world. Um, I think Rocky has as well. Uh, and, and maybe the fact that I know the way everything ends (laughs) is coloring my outlook on this issue and who Ava Apex is a little bit. Um, I don't know if subconsciously it's doing that or not, but I I mean, this is okay. It, It doesn't blow me away. The art is solid. Um, I don't find the character of Ava Apex to be particularly interesting. So maybe that's why for me, it's just sort of a meh issue. Um, yeah, so take take that for what you will. What do you think of it, Rocky? Did you like it more than I did?
1: I, uh, I think I did like it a little bit more than you did. I like, I think I like the character uh, Apex Ava uh, a little bit more than you did. Um, and in, incidentally, I, I I think I think it's Apex Ava, or you said Ava Apex. I think it's Apex Ava. Although, uh, yeah, possibly I, because I, know. I, but then, uh, one of the, uh, when they introduced her, w- w- one of the doctors said, said her name said apex Ava, and there was no comma after apex. So I, I don't think he was saying the last name first, so to speak, but in any event, yeah, I, I think
0: a- you're right. I mean, when I Google it, it comes up as apex Ava.
1: Yeah. So in any event, uh, just, just for a little bit of detail here, I, I Googled it. Cause I was curious that, uh, the monkey that she was bitten from, uh, had the sakusha disease and so uh, apex eva when she was young she was infected with the sakusha disease and it's the same disease that uh, that infected young garfield when he was young young so beast boy when he was young was infected by the sakusha virus as well and his parents saved him but his skin remained green and he gained the ability to shape shift so her origin is related to the same disease that led to beast boy and what's just to add a little bit more insight into the origin, not only did she have the Sakusha virus uh, suffer, but uh, uh, her her skin turned green from the Sakusha virus. Uh, but now she also is she ate one of the Gar spores, the Garo spores, and of course Beast Boy was affected with the Sakusha virus. So that explains why why um, why Apex Ava likely uh, she's not like the. We, eating one of the Garo spores gave her additional superpowers. It gave her powers that she didn't have before. So I think that's, I think that's kind of cool. So she never got her powers from the spore, but it was from eating the spore, which was a part of, of Beast Boy. So there's a relationship there. I think that's kind of cool. Also, she apparently started hunting people when she learned she was dying. So, uh, that's what the doctor said. So that's kind of interesting. So, uh, but now she's probably not dying anymore. But yet she started to hunt. You know, she is she was she was she slowly dying from the sakusha virus, and then now that she ate a garo spore, is is she presumably cured? And she's not dying, but she's continuing to hunt. And all the tattoos of every animal that she's hunted and killed is on her body, and she can now shape-shift and become one of them. I think that's kind of cool. Uh, uh, Sam uh, Sam Basri's art, I think, is. Uh, it's, it's not bad this issue I have to admit I am looking forward to some of my favorite artists drawing Apex Ava because she's a sexy new character and because she actually uh, I kind of like you know all the tattoos on her body I think it would make for a very very interesting sort of character but a bitch of a character for artists for ongoing artists to consistently draw Apex Ava to get all those tattoos in the right spots of her body uh, just to add to the sexiness of the character and the, the naughtiness of the character as she escapes nightwing at the end she touches there's an eagle right above her private parts that she touches and she turns into this eagle so <laughs> interesting location for this for the tattoos but uh i thought it was uh i thought it was interesting uh, if i'm nitpicking on the art i would have uh, i would have nitp- probably gone with a different artist but it, it was this the, the story was pretty good the characterizations and the dialogue between nightwing and, and john kent and mr and mr mittens uh damien i thought was pretty good and uh yeah and there is there is a there is a cover there that just has uh, apex ava on the cover and it is uh i don't know if this is her first appearance but this is her first full appearance so speculator alerts so yeah none no, it's, it, not she, it's, not her,
0: it's not her first appearance she she definitely showed up in one of the anthologies, um, you're right. Yeah, so fact, it might not even me... be her first full appearance. Then is it? No, it's not. not no, it's just her her origin. So yeah. let me here. I'll look it up real fast. Uh, it looks like she. Well, no, she's not being listed as showing up. Um, but yeah, she sh- she definitely. Hold on, I'll I'll go to the other because that'll show me wow. her first appearance if I go to the other site uh yeah so her first appearance was actually no they're listing this as her first appearance which it's what we know it's not it's not her first appearance she showed up maybe they're considering that a cameo but she did show up in whatever anthology uh story where uh damien got turned into mr mittens yeah that's right when damien went on you know underground and, and was looking she she shows up there but yeah it's just one panel so maybe they're considering that a cameo Um, i
1: i I will give a shout out to this cover cover a represents a meme for those who uh there's a common meme that's been around the internet for for years and uh but it's uh see if uh so for all comic book lovers out there look at cover a with nightwing pointing angrily at mr mittens uh because there's that meme of uh there's that meme going around where the one lady is pointing at some guy and is pointing at her him and screaming and the meme is used for different to convey different things with different dialogues. And um, Daniel Semper has decided to put that meme on the cover. I got to say, is a generally, I just want to give a, a general comment here that I've really not liked the cover A's on Nightwing. Pretty much, ninety percent of them, I think, are just terrible, <laughs> and this is definitely one of them. Uh, I, I, I don't know if they're trying to go for humor, but it's just a lot of the covers are just boring, uh, uneventful, not particularly, uh, not particularly good, to be honest with you, uh, despite being you know, serviceably drawn. Uh, I've been disappointed with by, by far the majority of them. Early on, the issues were okay, but this this issue, this cover is just terrible. It's really, uh, I, I don't know. I, I it, It's just a miss for me. So it's it's every now and then, I mean, uh, I, I usually get cover A's, but man, uh, with Nightwing, I'm always inspired to get some of the variants because the cover A's just are never particularly good, in my in my opinion, but... Art is subjective.
0: Yeah, I didn't think any of the covers in this one were particularly great. Uh, okay, if you want the first appearance, it's actually Nightwing one oh nine. Uh, so it wasn't it wasn't an anthology. It was the backup story in Nightwing one oh nine, where Damian went underground, and that's where she shows up the first time. So makes sense. Previous issue of Nightwing, if you want to get the first appearance of uh, of Apex Ava. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Titans number seven written by Tom Taylor. Travis Moore handles the art. Tamara Bonvillon on colors, Wes Abbott on letters. This is a, you know, this is an okay issue. One of the things that I, I really like about the issue is it, it does show the bond that the Titans have. If, if there's like one positive we can take from the Tom Taylor run, um, it is showing that the Titans are a family. He does a very good job uh, of that. Again, I, you know, clearly we got Beast World going on, so that's what this ties into. Um, Xander, this uh, supposed, you know, friend and, and uh, loyal subject of the uh, royal family of uh, Tamarin, who b- betrayed the royal family and, and actually worships the Necrostar. We get a little bit more of his reasoning here and a little bit more of his plotting and planning. is um, <clears throat> sort of explained before the Titans actually are able to take him out they're able to transform nightwing back from a a fox to a normal person they're also able to get uh get garth tempest back to to normal so sort of just tying up all the loose ends uh, some of the loose ends as it were from uh from beast world so it's a little bit pain by the numbers you know it's a little meh there's not anything over the top or, or what have you um but it is sort of setting the pieces in place to get to the end of uh, of Beast World. So overall, it's an it's an okay issue. Um, probably not my favorite issue of, of Titans so far, but really solid art from Travis Moore. And although it's may maybe a little heavy handed from Tom Taylor, the the familial aspect of the Titans and how much they care about each other as characters is really front and center in this issue more than anything
1: else. So, uh, what do you think, Rocky? I thought uh, there was a pretty badass moment where uh, the garl spore comes out of Nightwing, who's been animalized, and Starfire says it's all right. And she, Starfire literally bites into the spore, and just she's really badass. And, you know, I thought it was a little bit for—I I thought that was <laughs> definitely over the top. Starfire is definitely badass doing that. Although, uh, again, it's a nitpick, but every other—I know of no other hero, including— superman who is, seems to be able to do that it was just you know yeah. bite into it and then you know you know just toss it aside uh you know cyborg is a little bit more convincing because he's pretty much mostly machine so cyborg basically regurgitates out the spore and it has little effect on him much to the chagrin of uh starfire's uh uh whatever the the, the Tamaranian. Yeah. Tam- What's his yeah, name? Exan- Xander. Xander, right? Uh, but yeah, it's like like most of the Titans issues, I, this uh, this conveniently sort of wraps up it doesn't feel like any of the titans were really challenged here it was fairly easy for them to defeat all the Garrospores, to, to round them all up to defeat uh the Tamarinian villain and uh uh who is so memorable i continue to uh block out his name in my mind uh <laughs> starfire <laughs> you know uh raven it continues to um build up you know Raven is a character that uh will, will play more of a prominent role in the resolution of Beast World. Uh you just to hint at the ending, which to the surprise of no one, but you know, the, the more exciting aspects of, of this Titan storyline really are playing out in the pages of Beast World. Uh this one just sort of sort of wraps up, like you said, the loose ends. It's it's not bad. It's uh, you know, be- beautiful, beautifully drawn. Um, um the, yeah, by Travis Moore. So the art's fantastic. It's, it's, I really like the art. He's, he's got a style of art that I quite like. I consider it's the kind of house style that I like. Um But again, it's just, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it all wraps up. So I don't know what I'm, I got nothing to complain about. It just wraps up. It's just, just kind of con- convenient. I, I I don't know. It's sort of missing. It's, it's missing something and I'm having a hard time figuring out what it is, but, it's it's not memorable. I, I can tell you that it's just not particularly memorable, and um, yeah, I, I, I it's just not memorable. But uh, I'm still waiting for Titans to have their moment. And uh, although I do think Titans are having kind of their some of their what I would consider Justice League moments in Titans in the wrap up, but we'll have to discuss that when it wraps up next week uh, or. Whatever that, whatever it is. Two but weeks, yeah. Two, two weeks, weeks, yeah. But uh, in any event, uh, I, I didn't mind, uh, there was a couple of alternate covers I didn't mind. Pretty cool looking ones with Beast Boy and one with uh, Garth. Uh, but but beyond that, it's like, meh, kind of a meh. Convenient issue. If if you're with Titans so far, you're, you, you'll want to pick up this issue. It's sort of, like you said, it wraps, it ties up some loose ends prior to the resolution of Beast World.
0: Yeah, um, I agree 100%. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Wonder Woman issue number five, uh, Outlaw part five from writer Tom King, Daniel Sampere on art, Tamiya Mori on colors, Clayton Cowell on letters. Oh, man. Uh, what are your <laughs> thoughts on this issue? <laughs> are you expecting a rant? Uh, I, I'm not sure what to expect, uh, honestly, because I I, I had this is, feels to me like one of those issues that people are either going to love or they're going to hate. There's going to be nobody in the middle that's been like, ah, that was an average issue.
1: Well, you know, I'll, I'll just, um, th- th- this issue was unbelievably, totally pointless. I mean, it's, it's a beautifully drawn issue. Daniel Samper, man, you have, an, you have an amazing artist. And it's basically a recruitment issue. It's, it's the sovereign putting together all the bad guys you know, putting together, you know, Giganta and Cersei and uh, Dr. Psycho and Grail and Angleman. Meanwhile, Wonder Woman, uh, once again, and, and this isn't just something that, you know, I can't blame Tom King. I can't just blame Tom King for this. Almost, if I, I would have a, I, would, I could take quite some time listing all the writers who continuously insult the intelligence of Wonder Woman and writer like a moron, but Tom King writes Wonder Woman like an utter moron in this issue. For some reason, Wonder Woman, an Amazon who's skilled in the art of war, who should know that this is not a war against uh, her, it's a war against Themyscira, against all Amazons. Wonder Woman wrongly, demonstrably wrongly, categorizes this war against herself. She stupidly thinks that she embarks on some sort of tom king fabricates a contest culture or or tradition that wonder woman doesn't want to be interfered with she wants to go to war with the sovereign all by herself and she doesn't want to be interfered with so she doesn't want the two wonder girls or donna troy to help her absolutely retarded totally stupid unbelievably ridiculous I, it just makes no sense. And then I mean, the absurdity of it. She has an arm wrestle with Sandy's, with with, with, with uh, Cassie and then a bow and arrow thing with Yara and Yara, as if Yara, as if any of them can hold a candle to Wonder Woman, maybe Donna Troy. But the the arrogance and the narcissism of Yara Floor, I'll, I'll give Tom King credit. He nails Yara Floor's character. Yara Floor is just as unlikable as the last time I saw her on the written page. So he nailed Yara Floor. Yara Floor is pretty much I think she's become that almost like, like I, I grew to love hating Damien Wayne at one point of Damien's uh, comic book history at one point in his, uh, in his comic book career. Uh, Yara Flora is a character that I just, I don't like the character anymore. I just find her to be unlikable, but that's part of her charm now. So I just sort of accept that uh, deeply unlikable in this issue. Uh, I, that's not Tom King's fault. He, he nailed it. He nailed her. Uh, but you know, wonder girl Cassie, you know, arm wrestling a, a video game between Donna Troy and Wonder Woman with uh, I don't like the voice it, it, it's it's I've I really don't like the language in that and the voice that Tom King gives Wonder Woman I'm, I'm not a fan of it it's 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 I thought it would grow on me it hasn't really it's become more aggravating and Wonder Woman just feels like someone who hasn't really been able to fit. Anybody, she's got, again, I, I sound like a broken record whenever I talk about Wonder Woman, but I keep going back to, she's supposed to be, have, have wisdom. And what, these are, the, the tribes, the trials, this, they just united, all three tribes of the Amazons united. It's not Wonder Woman's call. She does not have the authority to overrule Queen Nubia. Queen Nubia is the one that decides what the Amazons will do. And Wonder Woman's taken it upon herself that this is all going to be about her. She's going to take on the most powerful military on the planet that is arguably close to declaring war on the Mascara. She's going to do it herself. Look, Wonder Woman, you battled battled a couple, you battled a hundred men in five tanks in one issue. whoop dee doo Good job, but that ain't Superman-level stuff. And and this is this this involves diplomacy. This involves Amazons. This involves three tribes. And you're selfishly going to, out of some ridiculous sense of, just misplaced sense of honor, try to alienate the, your allies. Now, thankfully, at the end, I mean, one, the two Wonder Girls and Donna Troy say, screw you, uh, Wonder Woman, we're going to help you whether you like it or not which they bloody well should. So that's good in that way. They're all in character. So that's good. Tom King nailed it at the end. But getting there, he insulted. Uh, I felt there was an insult to Wonder Woman's intelligence. And frankly, all of them. I mean, they wouldn't even have embarked on such a ridiculous contest. And 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 Yara 4 is basically, Wonder Woman injures Yara Flores, shoots an arrow into her. Oh, and she never heard any, he never hit any vital organs, but still stupid. You're in the middle of a war with the sovereign and you don't even know who the sovereign has on his side. And you're embarking on these petty little games, these little mind games and your stupid little petty traditions when you got a world at stake and you're, this is embarrassing. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a side, it's a sidestep from the story that that doesn't move this story forward. At least the sovereign. I mean, the sovereign, this is interesting. I want to know what the sovereign did. How did the sovereign get Grail on his side? Uh, how did he get... What did he say to Cerse to get Cerse on his side? Angleman. He hints that Angleman is more powerful, is the most powerful out of all of them. Angleman has the power to match Wonder Woman blow by blow. How? What is it about Angleman? What twist on Angleman does Tom King have? I think that's pretty cool. I like that Tom King scripted that Dr. Psycho. They didn't have to do anything to get Dr. Psycho on their side because Dr. Psycho is a misogynist, so he'd do anything. He hates Wonder Woman. So I like that. So the Sovereign recruiting all these villains on Wonder Woman i can get that i that's that's easy to believe but i just felt that i felt this was a wasted issue and i feel compelled to play script doctor again because i would have rather have been surprised by these villains just appearing and and have this issue be all of a sudden grail appears then next issue all of a sudden uh, all of a sudden cersei is there with angle man behind her or like why you know this this sort of build up to this to this crescendo which seems to be the pacing that Tom King is doing i've got mixed feelings about this feels like a like a like an opportunity. this feels like a superfluous issue to me but i i suspect that for brand new wonder woman readers who aren't familiar with wonder woman's rogues gallery and here's where i'm going to shut myself down and give a counterpoint to my own criticism i think for people that aren't really familiar with wonder woman i think they're going to like they might like this because they're they're being spoon-fed really spoon-fed who Wonder Woman's villains are. And I can only hope that they give Wonder Woman another chance. And and because I promise you, if she's written better in future issues, Wonder Woman is not this stupid. Is not this stupid. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she now she's got allies on her side. Uh, I think Tom King is elevating Yara Floor and, one, and is elevating the two Wonder Girls to importance that I think they're outside their pay grade. Because I don't think any one of them, I don't think the two Wonder Girls can hold a candle to uh, at least two-thirds of the villains here. So they'll get their asses handed to them. But Donna Troy and Wonder Woman, I would have liked to have seen Artemis part of this group. As a, I would like to have seen more Amazons part of this group, uh, per se. But um, other than that little rant, that mini rant... I, I am curious to see where this is going, but I feel that th- we've been snail pacing this. This is snail pace. It's sort of ground to a halt here, and um, and I'm probably being overly harsh on this, but I, I I wanted I I'm more curious as to know what the motivations of these villains are. Uh, and how did the sovereign? We know the sovereign's very powerful, and even is working with Amanda Waller. And but how the hell do you get Grail, who's the ultimate, who's who's into misandry? I mean, when they show Grail here, she's she's literally sitting on naked men. She's surrounded by naked men. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Grail, Grail doesn't take kindly to uh, uh, the, the sovereign. That's why the sovereign bowed to her and everything else. So I think Tom King did a decent enough job introducing us. Introducing us to these villains per se. I just wish he wouldn't have played his hand so soon. I would have liked to have been pleasantly surprised as the narrative moved forward, as opposed to just you know we're we're being spoon fed and this is proceeding at a stale snail pace. We're being sm- spoon fed, and Tom King is like taking like last issue. We got the cancer kid because we needed to see how compassionate Wonder Woman was, and those were good character moments. But again, just a little bit outpaced. For, for what the topic of this central plot is, and so I don't know. I, I'll have to see how this progresses, but I have a feeling that I'm going to be very up and down with my with my my comments on this series as it proceeds. So I got mixed feelings about this. What about you?
0: I, I so I knew you weren't going to like it, but <laughs> you you you're disliking it for reasons other than what I thought. Yeah. Right. And even you went so far as ah, it's a pointless issue. And and Wonder Woman's so stupid. So I thought you were gonna say that <laughs> it's a pointless issue because she defeats you know these other three. side You know she she doesn't she purposely goes out of her way to say I ne- this is why I never had a sidekick. So they're not really sidekicks, but yeah. whatever, junior Wonder Women or whatever you want to call them, her 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 protégés. Let's let's call them. She defeats all of them, makes them promise not to help her, and then they show up at her apartment anyway. They're gonna help her. So yeah, you know she's <laughs> is she. Is she you know dumb for thinking that they weren't you know they don't care you know about this you know oath or whatever at the end of the day they know she needs help and they're going to help her and 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 so that's why it was pointless because you know they set all this up and then they're going to show up to help her anyway so you know what was the point of it um but that's not real <laughs> that's not really w- what's going on here in terms of uh, uh you know of why you didn't like it you're you're talking about well you know, it's not her call to make. Uh, you know, it's them, mascara, whatever. I, I'll just to play devil's advocate here. She is trying to stop the war that America has declared on her. She again, she on mascara, not Wonder Woman, on No, Themyscira. no, no, no. I, I I disagree. We we saw <laughs> that she's They're excluding the, the Amazon. One, she's the one Amazon who's who who said I'm not going to leave America. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to fight. You know, they, they had, we had that issue where it was a big scene on the battlefield and and she defeated the army, whatever. And for some reason, Sarge Steele was surprised by that. And, and now that, you know, it's, it's been a situation where they're saying, okay, um, you know, we've got to find a way to, uh, to defeat Wonder Woman and what have you. And, and to me, what she's saying is, Yes, I know there's still somebody behind the scenes that's pulling the strings. I don't know who that is. But in terms of, of a war, I'm going to be beset on all sides by the forces of America. And, and that's where she wants her protégés to stand down. She doesn't want any of them to get hurt. She doesn't want them painted in you know uh, a bad light or what have you. As far as like the bigger picture of who's behind it and whatever, I think she's still trying to figure that out. So I didn't take this as her saying... You know, you you got to agree not to help me with my war with the sovereign because she doesn't even know at this point that the sovereign exists. So I took this as her getting her proteges to agree that okay, if America sends other forces at me, um, you know they've got this axe organization, they've got the uh, this Bureau of Sovereignty organization. If America itself comes after me, or America's allies come after me, you you won't you won't help me. You won't put yourself in harm's way. That's what I that's what I took this as. And, and if there's any sort of you know stupidity on her part, again I go back to why did you think that they weren't going to help you? Of course they're going to help you regardless of whatever promise you extract from them. That's kind of how I took it and and in terms of it being a pointless issue, well, you go through all the situations of having her sit there and prove that she's better at bows and arrows, she's better at arm wrestling, she's even better at video games than her proteges only to have them go, well, it doesn't matter. We're going to show up at your apartment and help you anyway. So yeah. I can see why oh. somebody would say, well, that was kind of, that was kind of, <laughs> I, I could be wrong
1: and you could be right. And, and maybe she's well, just, no, we, can, we can both be right. I, under, I understand your interpretation. Well, I mean, no, Wonder, I Wonder Woman has be, become the center it. point, but the reality is, is that it, all of the, I, I mean, it's, it's really, it's the U S has banished all Amazons from their soil and they're there and they're, and so if Wonder Woman, I will admit that if Wonder Woman is the one that they're going to, is still in American soil, Wonder Woman wants to attract them to her. But it's not a war against, it, Wonder Woman is just s- s- symbolic. Wonder Woman wants to, I think, probably draw. Well, they,
0: have, they have said, Sarge Steele has said, because everybody else is gone. Wonder Woman's the one that says, says I won't leave. And, and again, a part of it is because she's the most visible Amazon. So yeah. at the end of the day, if, if you know, if you ask Sarge Steele. In the story, who are you at war with? He's gonna—he's not gonna say the Amazons. He's gonna say Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is the one who's not complying. Wonder Woman is the one for whatever reason. So I don't think that we could both be right. Like it's gonna be—is Wonder Woman referring to this war, this silent war that she doesn't really know who her foe is
1: at this point? Because that could be valid. Well, she or knows it's she sovereign. She knows that there's that somebody named the sovereign. She just doesn't know who it is. She, doesn't, she hasn't found the Sovereign yet. She knows, she asked Steve Trevor, I, have I, you ever I, heard I of the Sovereign? I the part what she learned, that there's somebody called the Sovereign. Yeah,
0: she, she knows she there's somebody pulling the strings, yeah. but no. I don't know that she knows it's, you know, this guy
1: called the Sovereign. Yeah, no, she remember. found that out from Sarge Steele in issue one. And in issue two, she specifically asked Sarge, she specifically asked Steve Trevor when they're walking in front of the Capitol. She asks him, have you heard of anyone called the Sovereign? Okay. so but she doesn't know. She doesn't know who the sovereign is and she doesn't know the sovereign's history. Uh, She will come to know that. And but so she knows something's up, which underscores another point while we're dealing with this. And whether it's a war, Wonder Woman or Amazon, it doesn't really matter. The fact is that we're four issues into this and Wonder Woman still doesn't know. And we're still just getting the pieces on the board. It just feels like it's kind of like snail pacing. I don't I don't,
0: have, I don't. I don't. I have zero problem with being four issues in. I mean, I'm enjoying this, and the last thing I want is for it to end quickly and and be
1: like, "Wow, that you know that was one of the best Wonder Woman stories oh, I've ever read." Not, but now it's over already. It doesn't have to end quickly. I'm just saying that so far there actually isn't a hell of a lot of substance to it yet. Like, I, like I, it, considering all the players that I, I, I don't know. I just I just feel I could have a, a little bit more. Uh, a little bit more gravitas to me and, and it it just it still just feels off this is issue 5 so four or five issues issue. five fair enough and um there was uh there's there's also the fact that amazon's attack is also happening alongside this and so uh queen nubia is also you know I'm, <laughs> Queen Nubia is also involved in this and there's certainly factions against Queen Nubia now I guess you could argue that it's it's not the sovereign going against Queen Nubia but clearly there are forces at bay that must be associated with the sovereign against Queen Nubia and Mary Marvel and what have you over an Amazon's attack so again this idea that this is a war specifically for Wonder Woman I think it's just undercut by the by by, by the narrative uh, by the broader about, aspects I'm of not the narrative about
0: the, the, I'm not talking about the sovereign so I think we're talking about two different things That's the problem. You're thinking about the the Sovereign's campaign. I'm not talking about the Sovereign's campaign. To me, the Sovereign's campaign in this story, the only aspect of, of this particular issue where we get the Sovereign's campaign is the Sovereign recruiting people. All the Wonder Woman stuff in this issue for me is Wonder Woman and her war, I'm going to call it a war, with Sarge Steele. That's what the Wonder Woman aspect of this is. Because again, she... In my mind, she does not have enough information about the Sovereign, the Sovereign's campaign, what his plan is, how long he's been. She knows nothing about that. That has yet to be discovered. So being the warrior that she is, plan of action, whatever, she's going to fight the enemy that she can see, right? And right now, the enemy that she can see, the enemy that she has knowledge of, that's 100% Starge Steel.
1: Now again, I could be completely wrong, and she could be well, planning. Well, you're definitely future. wrong on that. I, I told you. She 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 knows the sovereign exists, but she so okay, she, asked, so she, knows she there's, there's a guy called the sovereign, but who she knows for he
0: told her. And, and, but it so doesn't matter, Rocky. She doesn't know anything. Okay, I know a bad guy's <laughs> called the sovereign is the one behind it. Okay, so right. what can I do about that? Well, absolutely nothing because I don't know where he is. I don't know what his powers are. I don't know what he has planned. I don't know how long he's been around. I don't know who's working for him. I don't know what influence is that. She knows nothing other than she has a name. So how can she be planning a war against this guy when she knows nothing about him? Now, again, I could be completely wrong and she could be extracting these empty promises from her protégés, Uh saying, okay, eventually I'm going to learn about the sovereign and how to attack him and how to protect the Amazons and how to get the, uh, you know, Amazons cleared of wrongdoing and the smirching of name or whatever. And at that point, I'm going to be at war with the sovereign. And I want to make sure that you guys are safe and that you don't, um, you know, fight against uh, the sovereign at that point. She could be doing that. It just doesn't seem like a thing that she would be doing. It seems more like what she's doing here again, is she's setting herself up to fight the enemy that she does know the enemy that she can see the enemy that she is aware of which is sarge Steele, the enemy that's come after her multiple times and she doesn't yeah, want her other <laughs> proteges to uh to get in harm's way so but again, yeah. I, again i could be completely wrong but i take your point you know when you say not okay not much has happened we're five issues in here so if you think about it, if you break it down issue by issue, you know, the first issue we had co- sort of the inciting event. And then the second issue, um, we had sort of the fallout of that. And then the third issue, we had this, um, okay, let's have this uh, this war with, with uh, Wonder Woman and, and, you know, the army send tanks against her and whatever and show how powerful she is and how, how that didn't work out. And then last issue, like you said, she, we had the little boy with cancer showing Wonder Woman's compassion. So yeah, we're even though obviously there's a a bigger overarching story here that um, the Tom King's telling. R- really, in a lot of ways, what we're getting is b- sort of like a bunch of vignette issues, and it, it and it all sort of seems like setup. And and it if you take each issue individually, it can feel a little bit choppy. I could see where somebody would get that that feeling, right? Because there's sort of a lack of continuity from issue to issue. I could, you know, again, I could see mm-hmm. somebody s- sort of saying that. So uh, I from just, that perspective, I, I, yeah, I guess. But the other th- thing that I go back to is Tom King has never, ever in his entire career that I'm aware of ever t- told a story that went from point A to point B to point C to point D. Uh, so, uh, you know, I didn't expect this to go that way either. You know, even uh, if you remember the Batman Killing Time series, when he came on this very show and said, I, and I asked him about that, how he'd never done it. And he goes, yeah, I'm going to do that with Batman Killing Time. It's going to go point A, point B, point C, point D. If you've read Killing Time, everybody, you know, it yeah, jumps yeah, all the hell all over the place, or whatever. It did not do that. I don't think Tom King is capable of telling a story in linear fashion. So I didn't expect this to go
1: in in linear fashion either. So. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what he does with because you know with the Sovereign organizing these forces against Wonder Woman, uh, it's you know it would seem to me that if 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 these villains attack her all at once along with the Sovereign, you, you'd think he'd have a fairly a fairly a, a fairly powerful. Immediate attack, and yet somehow I have this sneaking suspicion that whatever Sovereign's doing, he's 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 going to try to break Wonder Woman down by having individual attacks, and it's going to be really interesting to see how Tom King is going to uh, ally or how to have these these two forces face off against each other. Because you know, Tom King has very he's he's been very divisive the way that he scripts fight scenes. Everything from Harley Quinn taking out the Trinity and Heroes in Crisis to uh, certain interactions between characters that seems to uh, upset certain people. It's going to be interesting to see how he the he's, he's already hinted at the power set he's given Angle Man, and it's going to be interesting to see what, how he how how powerful he thinks Grail is, Giganta, Cersei, uh, 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 the Silver Banshee. It's going to be interesting to see how these fight scenes will be choreographed uh, moving forward. So I I have a feeling this isn't my last rant. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when it comes to Wonder Woman, it never is your last rant. Uh, (laughs) uh,
0: Doesn't matter who the writer is. But the other aspect is, you know, you mentioned uh, this whole idea of recruitment and what have you. Uh, You know, we just had some Tom King recruitment type storytelling in the pages of Penguin. It's kind of interesting to sort of compare. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just got done saying that Tom's incapable of writing a a book where um, where he tells a story in linear fashion. Uh, well, but what I will say is, you know, it, the closest he's gotten to that maybe is the Penguin. Is the story he's telling over in, in those pages? It, it does tend to be a little more linear. That's true. Um, in, in the Penguin. So uh, anyway, uh, that's more than enough about Wonder Woman. Uh, <laughs> I kind of wanted to save it for <laughs> for last because I knew we we're going to have a lot to say. Uh, But instead, last is Superman Lost, number 10. Christopher Priest handles the script. Uh, Carlo Pagulian and Jose Luis on pencils. Jason Paz, Joe Prado, Julio Ferreira, and Jonas Trinidad on inks. Jeremy Cox on colors and Willie Schubert on letters. Uh, This has been a little bit of an up and down issue, so kind of curious on your thoughts uh, now that we hit the end here.
1: um Okay. Uh, I got to say, I actually, of all the comics this week that I that I centered my thoughts on and, and, and read the most and sort of intrigued me the most and that I put the most thought into, although, I just spoiler alert, my, my comments aren't going to reflect necessarily that I put a lot of thought <laughs> into it because I got so much mixed feelings about this issue. Uh, on the one hand, I could literally start my, my commentary right now being highly flattering, uh, I could also simultaneously and paradoxically be very scathing. Uh, I can tell you my first impression was deep disappointment because I thought it was sort of a Duke at Machina ending that, uh, that it it, it didn't really sit well with me because it was, it's basically uh, Superman sort of undoing the previous nine issues. It was basic. It felt like a cheat. It felt like a cheat. On the other hand, and I just decided I'm going to start with uh, maybe a, a, a kind of a brief synopsis here. But th- this this issue, uh, it very clearly is something that this is, what this issue makes absolutely clear to me, and it wasn't clear to me, and maybe it was clear to you, but it wasn't clear to me up until this final issue that this really was a Lois Lane and Clark Kent story. It was a Lois Lane Cal story. I mean, I know a lot of the nine issues had to do with Lois Lane and their relationship and her trying to reach her husband because she lost him. He's been gone for 20 years. He, he's been gone only for a few days, but 20 years in his mind is gone. She, she, the man she gets back is not her husband. And the, the real touching aspect of this, where, uh, and this is where I'll, uh, part of me that likes this story, is the, is the personal angle of it where Superman super superman manages to save the day he not only manages to save victor's world victor's planet he the people on victor's planet but he hope shows up at earth and she's she's seemingly pregnant with his child it ends up it's not his it's not not his child but lois initially doesn't know that uh but but lois bites the bullet superman goes back they 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 managed to get the people off victor's world the sun's going supernova they relocate them to a different world apparently it takes 10 years and then while superman is away superman remembers something that 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 uh adam strange tells him about space travel is is essentially a form of time travel because when you travel great distances it's a form of time travel and again it's the idea of traveling at the speed of light and if you know you can if you travel at the speed of light you go through wormholes etc cetera, etc cetera, you can travel great distances and even though a lot of passage a lot of time might pass on another world uh much less time or more time might pass on your world and what happens is superman manages to go back in time to the initial scene in the first issue we got where he where he talks to the contract uh the contractatios and and he and The future version of himself manipulates the contract ratio ship so that when they send, when they reject Superman's plea to send him back to earth and instead of them banishing him back to Victor's planet, he ends up getting banished back to earth. And so this... Present day Superman keeps his promise to Lois by saying, I, when he says to Lois, I promise I will return to you. The man you know will return back to you. Superman sacrifices himself. He embraces words of Marcus Aurelius that says, you know, waste no more time arguing what a good man should be. Just be one. Words, ironically enough, quote, quoted, stated by Lex Luthor in this issue. But quoting Marcus Aurelius and the the, uh, right out of the stoic man philosophy and physician heal thyself. Superman heals himself here by going back, by essentially doing a little bit of clever time travel, by going back and making it so that ultimately the contract ratios, uh, the contract ratios end up, he changes time, he changes the past so that his past self makes it back to earth without the 20 year gap. But yet, he stays present in order to be the gatekeeper for for the cycle, that time cycle, to renew itself ad infinitum, and and that's sort of like the happy ending. And then the baby that Hope was ha- has was actually she uh, was actually she she cloned the baby, uh, and be- and it's actually from Jimmy's here, the alien friend that, that Clark had on the planet on the planet. That Hope she, or killed. That she that? killed. That she killed. That she killed. Yeah. And, and even that writer, Christopher priest is trying to find some inspiration for that. The way that she redeems that she redeems herself out of a sense of guilt. She raises the child of the man she killed. What's that? Sorry. I killed you. I'll have your baby. Yeah. Sorry. Exactly. So (laughs) I mean, that's not the most Christopher priest thing ever. Yeah. So everything wraps up here. And I, I I think it's uh, my criticism of it. My criticism of it is, I think it's a little bit too convenient, but it is, uh, and I, there was, and also, I, I've read The Stoic Man, uh, back in my self-help days, I've I've read a lot of books on that, and and Marcus Aurelius is very wise. I don't think Superman understands Marcus Aurelius, uh, and I, I, and I, I disagree with Christopher Priest's interpretation, a real man would not do what Superman did here. In my mind, I mean, you 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 embrace your responsibilities. You you don't just go change the past because you don't like it, right? That's what Superman does. He cheats. He cheats. I I, I think it's he cheats he, rather than be a man and, and deal with the consequences of your actions. Uh, he cheats here. Now, now you could argue he's a Superman and he's he's doing it for Lois. He's setting his past self so that and, and he's so I I understand the counterpoint because I'm I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted, but. You know, so I got mixed feelings about this, and so where am I going with all this? Let's just say that at the end, I'm I ha- I'm compelled to give a compliment to Christopher Priest because this ending really made me think. It made me question what is a man. Uh, it made me sort of go back. I got I got the read some Marcus Aurelius. I did that even, so I enjoyed that. So I'm, it really made me think, and it really made me contemplate. Just how much Clark loves Lois, how much Lois loves him, her reactions here, how the Justice League trusted Superman. They went and even the, there's a little bit of a wonkiness here. The Justice League apparently spent 10 years in the other part of the galaxy helping relocate all the people on Victor's planet to another planet. And then, the, I don't know, didn't the Justice League age 10 years if they were gone for 10 years? At least that's how I read that. But anyways, there there, there might be some wonkiness that are going on but nonetheless i get what christopher priest was trying to say uh i did christopher priest did do an interview on, on word balloon and he was he said point blank that he's very very proud of this ending and he's going to be very very curious about what people think and he does he's he admits he's not sure if everyone's going to like it <laughs> well i can tell you i got mixed feelings mr priest uh but i can understand what you were what you were going for and i think it it both works but at the same time it it makes me it aggre it, it irritates me a little bit as well so uh but i i compliment him for telling telling a story that makes me think and also puts a different twist on space time travel because he makes a comment here that hasn't the most writers don't look at it this way but it does make you think well if you travel great distances that does involve a form of time travel but it also creates to a it leads to a, a possible paradoxes and the paradox that exists at the conclusion of this story is that technically superman is coexisting the same superman is is existing in the same time period just at two different points in space as i see it or maybe maybe i just don't know my quantum physics very well but uh what do you think
0: yeah i I,
1: so i didn't take it so much as
0: superman cheated as christopher priest cheated right (laughs) like like this whole story you know predicated on the fact that you know superman was gone for so long and even though he he came back and it was only you know a, a a few hours that he was gone, you know, less than a day that he was gone in the lifetime of Lois, he was gone for, you know, 25 years and there was trauma. And, um, you know, the fact that he was unable to just, um, you know, save the people of that uh, planet, Kansas, as he dubbed it, um, you know, that weighed on him. And so even though he came back, he wasn't really back. His, his thoughts, his mind, uh, they were all still out there in space. Uh, so he never you know, really came back and, that's basically what, you know, what he's saying here, what he's saying to Lois, you know, sorry, uh, you know, I never came back. And so th- then at the end, when he, d- he chooses to do what he does, which again, it makes complete sense. It's not, you know, the, this, this theory has been out there, the theory of relativity. And, if you know, you had identical twins and you launch one off at the speed of light and, you know, then he came back or whatever. And he would, you know, he would be much younger and 80 years would have gone by and his identical twin would be much older here on Earth and what have you. It's Einstein. It's you know theoretical physics, and there's unless somebody actually figures out how to travel through time or travel at the speed of light, we'll never actually know if it if it can actually happen. Um, but but it is interesting, and it, again, it's been postulated before. Does it work here? Yeah, I mean, it works in terms of resolving the story, but it does you know feel a little bit like well. Christopher Priest really wanted to have a happy ending. And so this was a way to give us a, a happy ending. Does yeah. it make sense for the actual story? You know, do, does does it do justice to the story that was built? And I, I kind of feel like the answer is no. You know, it feels <laughs> a little bit like a cop-out just to give us a, a happy ending. Um, you know, it, it, I feel – and maybe it's just me. Maybe maybe it's it's I should be paying Christopher Priest a compliment. Like you did a really good job of telling a, a fantastic story, where you know I, I didn't know what to expect, and and everything happened you know much differently than than I expected. It wasn't Superman's child, and Lois shouldn't have had those feelings of jealousy or what have you. Uh, you know, you pulled the rug out from under us or or what have you. Um, but I, I don't know. It just I, I it's okay when stories are told like that, where the you know. You can see it going in one direction and then all of a sudden it goes in, in another direction. This wasn't that. This, Yeah, we did have, I guess you consider it a clue, the conversation that Superman had with Adam Strange where he mentioned, well, yeah, when you travel through space and you're going that fast, you know, you're really time traveling. Um, it seemed a little bit like a throwaway line, but I guess if anybody calls Christopher Priest out on it you know, on the story, like I just did, he can point to that and go, well, no, look, I said right here, if you look right here, Adam Strange said, so you should have known. I don't know. It just, it, it felt like everything just wrapped up a little too neatly. Um, And, you know, yeah, having a a Superman that never went through what he went through come back to Lois. um, I don't know. It just, it felt like, Christopher Priest in a way saying, okay, so all the story that I told, all the trauma that he went through, all the angst that Superman felt about trying to save these people and, and them deserving to, to live and trying to bring peace and understanding to the different um, factions and cliques and societies that existed on Kansas, all of that wasn't really worth anything. It doesn't really matter because I'll just have the Superman that was only gone for 10 minutes come right back after he left and all the rest of that stuff. Yeah, we can argue whether or not uh, Superman's existing in two places and, and that sort of thing, but it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, Lois and Clark are going to be happy because she got her husband back and he wasn't really lost. So mm. why, why, did I, why did I read this? Yeah, You know what I'm saying? Like, what was the point of it? Yeah. So uh, I, I feel a little bit like that. So I, much like yourself, I have sort of conflicted feelings. One thing I'm not conflicted about at all, Uh, The art throughout the series by Carlo Pagulian was absolutely fantastic. Agreed. Uh, Some of the best Superman art we've had in in a really long time. So I don't know. I I think this is one of these books that I'm going to have to just kind of sit with it for a little while. And maybe, you know, a month from now or two months from now, go back and read it all in one sitting. And I'll have a better idea of like how I feel about it. Because kind of like you, my knee jerk reaction right after I read it was, well, I didn't like that. I didn't, I didn't like the way that wrapped up and I was looking forward. I was very much looking forward to the end of this. Yeah. Um, it just didn't go at all. Like I thought it was going to go. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean it was bad. Yeah. Uh, cause I couldn't predict the end. Some, sometimes I don't want to predict the end, but this just felt too convenient. I think he used that word as well. Yeah. It, it just, it felt like it wrapped up a little too neatly for the stakes of the story that we had. Um, and so, yeah, to me, the ending, the story that was crafted for nine issues deserved a, a little bit better ending rather than like a saccharine sweet ending where, oh, everything worked out, you know, like, a I don't know, an episode of – uh, punky brewster or something i don't know i, I, I
1: will say really this remember. it sort of reminded me of a, uh, it had a silver age kind of ending that i would expect yeah. to have read in a silver age comic and so in that way i it's a compliment to christopher priest because he's channeling his inner silver age sort of plot device and it is kind of a cool plot device and the fact is if i'm being uh, we, i we i shouldn't we should not have expected that hope's child would have been superman's because you you don't want that in continuity and you want superman to sort of like he he is he is i mean even the central conceit of final crisis you know superman wished everyone a happy ending i mean that's the that's the epitome of superman superman finds a way to make everyone happy and he does that in this issue he saves the entire planet that resented him uh victor's planet uh he 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 saves he he even gives lois back her husband back which wasn't him and he ultimately sacrificed himself in order to do that putting his love for Lois ahead of even his own very existence which in in I suppose in one interpretation is what the ultimate stoic man as uh, would, would would do uh, uh, channeling the the best of Marcus Aurelius so I understand what Christopher priest was doing and uh, it's just uh and 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 I think as I'm talking to you I'm glad I'm talking it out I'm I think I feel better about it now it's just but it is something like you said Said, coming back and revisiting it, it might, and reading it as a whole, I, I might even if this was a if this is a hardcover, if this is a hardcover or a trade, I might even pick up the trade just so I have it because it, it's it's some it's good enough that I think I could I would still recommend it. I'm inclined to recommend it to people if they want a self-contained Superman story because it's it has enough character moments and 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 it made me think individual issues made me think about lex's actions lois's actions and the debates and the things we talked about from issue to issue it was thought provoking. her pregnancy yeah it was thought provoking and it you know it it it, it upset me and it challenged me and it and even the ending it and and in a good way in a good way there's the type of debates that we have that you know is you know gets to the heart of why we read comics in the first place anything that makes us think can't be a bad thing I mean, if you said told me Christopher Priest
0: was going to write a Superman story, you would <laughs> expect it to be like this, right? A little bit divisive, yeah. a little bit thought provoking, and what have you. And it's what we said at the beginning, and why we were so—at least I was—I was like, this is not what I was expecting at all. That he only goes to basically one place, and he's stuck there. You know, I—I I had mentioned, yeah, maybe he's going to be in one place, and he's—he's he's out there so far, and he's trying to travel back, and he keeps getting delayed because he's having to help you know, people along the way. Instead, he was back, like, the same issue or the very next issue. But then we find out later he wasn't really back. Like, we should have expected this, honestly. Yeah. Like, if i if I In if hindsight, being honest, yeah. being that it's Christopher Priest, yeah, should have sort of expected this. But, you know, I, I kind of felt the same way about his Deathstroke run. Uh, you know, I didn't love it right away. It was, you know, I had to sit with it for a while. I had to go back and reread it. So, you know, this very well may be uh, – yeah, what, what we do, but yeah, in terms of the collection or whatever, like, I keep going back to it, but just based on the artwork in this series, that white suit, uh, hmm. I mean, so many fantastical uh, montage pieces of him in space, or whatever, like, I think having a, you know, a collection of this, it's worth it just for that, just for the amazing art that we got throughout. So, uh, all right, well, that does it for the issues that uh, are out this week. Uh, let me get it in front of me to let you know about the, uh, the collections that we have. Um, and while I'm doing that, uh, I do want to shout out that, uh, Rocky put up an episode this week about, uh, <laughs> ultimate Spider-Man. If you're not aware across the street at Marvel, they are relaunching the ultimate universe. Uh, and so, yeah, I was actually, it's kind of funny. I was going to reach out to him and ask if he was interested at all in covering that and Amazing Spider-Man. And lo and behold, before I know it, he dropped an episode. Uh, so be sure you go and check that out. Uh, but in terms of collections that are out this week, Trial of the Amazons has a trade paperback. It came out in hardcover, uh, previously. I think in, um, in the interest of full disclosure, I could say that neither Rocky nor I would recommend that. Uh, if you listen to us, review it. (laughs) Yeah, we really really didn't like it didn't think it was very good Uh, but hey if you want to it does give some context on the you know uh, recent um, events with the Amazons and the tribes coming together and Nubia being queen and what have you Uh, other than that we have Batman volume 6 Abyss trade paperback which collects uh, Batman issues 118 through 121 as well as uh, 124 so that's it for collections this week Uh, kind of Small week in terms of collections, but uh, book of the week, Rocky. Is it
1: uh, uh, easy my book of the week? I'm I am going to Superman Lost uh, because it, it 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 did it made me think it was thought provoking and you know it's one of those things where. You know, I wouldn't even call my comments a rant. It was just more of uh, I'm reflect it was a series of my reflections on it it made me think. And it I thought it was well done and it's challenging, you know, it's channeling his inner silver age. And while it might be a little bit convenient, the one I When I again, when I reflect back and in the joy and the enjoyment I had reading from issue to issue, I enjoyed the journey getting to issue 10. And while the ending might was maybe a little uh, wonky, it it still worked and Superman still ultimately found a way to give a happy ending for all. And I'm always bitching that I want more happy endings and we want more hope and in the DC universe. And I got an ending and Christopher priest gave us that channeling a little bit of silver age. So the more I'm reflecting on it, maybe I should, uh, what the hell was I bitching about? So yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Superman lost. What about yourself? Uh,
0: you know, I got to go with, uh, Justice League versus Godzilla versus Kong, um, kind of sim- similar, to some of the reasons that we were giving for, uh, why, you know, we should give a little more appreciation to Superman lost, uh, for how good it, it really was. Uh, you know, we had certain expectations and whether those expectations were met or not met or subverted in some way, you don't. Know, at least we get surprised in some way. Now, when, when those expectations aren't met and you feel sort of let down, it can be, a, a, you know, disappointing, and I totally get that. But at the end of the day, this uh, Justice League story with Kong and Godzilla has been become much more complicated than we expected it in terms of character development and what's going on with the story, and it's not just some kind of over-the-top sort of fun story like I mentioned Jurassic League. Uh, there's a lot more substance to it than we are necessarily expecting. I keep using the word "fun" to describe it, but it's more than just fun. It's it's a good story, with good character development, with uh, with some intrigue, with some mystery, with uh, the tension building up, and the art has been fantastic. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I, I I just don't think any longtime comic reader can open up that book and flip through the pages and come to that moment when. Aquaman releases the Kraken, and you've got Godzilla there, and you've got this giant squid monster there, and you've got this Kraken there. And how can you not smile at that? How can you not just go, hell yeah, <laughs> this is what comics are. This is the fun of it. This is the joy of it. Uh, and so, yeah, for that reason, I'm, I'm going to pick uh, Brian Buccioletto and Christian Ducey and Tom Dernick's uh, Justice League versus the giant monsters. So i us pick this one. I'm good. Uh, all right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Like I said, don't forget to go and uh, check out the uh, the Ultimate Spider-Man issue that uh, that Rocky put out, the review. Uh, yeah, him and I have yet to talk about whether we're going to go back and cover the, the stuff that leads up to the rebirth of the Ultimate Universe. It ties in with a lot of stuff. I mean, we could we go back to the 2000s, really, to look at the roots, like literally the year 2000, to look at the roots uh, of what's happening here, because that's when the f- initial Ultimate Universe launched. Um, and it has, this has a lot to do with the maker, if you're familiar with that, this uh, multiversal version of, uh, of Reed Richards, who's sort of uh, an evil version, I guess. Uh, I mean, he's completely evil. Um, uh, and he was uh, the Reed Richards that showed up in the Ultimate Fantastic Four Uh, But anyway, the Maker has everything to do with this new uh, Ultimate Universe. So we're going to talk about that. We'll see how far back, if at all, we go back. Maybe we'll just cover it moving forward. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, But we also have uh, Daily Spawn, Complete Spawn Chronology that's coming out on the Comic Source YouTube channel, as well as the Comic Source uh, podcast feed. Uh, Going back and re-releasing all the episodes we released previously. Previously, we got up to around issue 80, plus a lot of tie-in stuff. So that's coming. Uh, And then... Right around the end of March, we'll be getting to new episodes. So if you followed along previously, you want to know when to tune in for the new stuff that's coming in March. But that being said, be sure you tune in on Friday on the podcast feed and on the uh, Comic Source YouTube channel because that's when my interview with Todd McFarlane will drop. I'm talking to Todd about early days of Spawn and a bunch of Spawn content that uh, is coming out later this year in 2024. Going to be a huge, huge year for Spawn. So be sure not to miss that. Uh, so we appreciate the support. As always, don't forget if you're watching us on YouTube on Rocky's channel, uh be sure to subscribe, ring the notification bell, leave some comments. We'd love to interact with all of you all uh in the comment section. Uh if you're listening to us on the audio only uh podcast feed, don't forget to head over to YouTube and subscribe to the channel. Comic Space Boom Exclamation Point is where you can find it. And conversely, if you check us out uh on the the podcast uh or Rocky's uh, uh YouTube channel every week. And you want to be sure not to miss any of the audio-only content that comes out. Just go to wherever you get your podcast, do a search for the comic source, and subscribe.
1: Uh, so I think that does it. Anything to add, Rocky? Uh, no. Uh, just uh, it was an uh, interesting week. It was actually uh, the comic books were better than I thought. Uh, I, it's always after talking with you, I have a better appreciation of some of the comics that I uh, that I read. So, yeah, thank you again for uh, a good, good review. We got a little bit of uh, lively debates in there, too. So it's all good for a little bit of rant and raving. Yeah, 100%. Uh,
0: And also, one last thing. Don't forget to go check out my interview with Chip Zdarsky from last week. Uh, Daredevil, Batman, some hints of stuff that's to come with Batman, a lot of Joker stuff. Uh, So that's coming as well. So uh, that came out last week, I think, or the week before. So go check that out. Uh, Anyway, that's going to do it, everybody. Appreciate your support as always. And we will talk to you next time. Catch you later. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog@gmail.com. at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash source. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.